Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Imran, you are muted. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I think I've asked you well, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. I read your lips, I understood what you said, but I think just in case, you know, people that... I knew you were a lip reader as well, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Okay, so mashallah, brothers and sisters, uh, Doubt Busters, uh, it's uh, episode 10. And this is basically reserved for Muslims uh, who either have doubts or have had somebody who has said things perhaps uh, that they couldn't answer. And maybe it wasn't necessarily a firm or strong doubt, uh, but something niggly that you wanted to clear up, inshallah ta'ala. As always, I always remind everybody, please get on the stream early. Uh, because Doubt Busters and Dawakli tend to be the most popular streams. And um, we seldomly get everybody on uh, because at the end, there tends to be a massive rush of people, mashallah. And it's like the backstage is full and getting through people. It's like I feel like I'm having to rush just to get through the uh, through the people. Now, if you um, obviously are non-Muslim, and you know, I, and this is a genuine please uh, request. So, don't abuse that. If you're genuinely interested to accept Islam, and there's a couple of doubts that you have, of course we will accommodate you. But that does not mean to say that you come on to have a debate. Really, you're not really interested to accept Islam. You're not really asking for that reason, but you just wish to have a debate about something, a doubt that you you know you think might be difficult for us to answer. Uh, This is not that stream. Uh, There are other streams like Open Forum, for example, where you're welcome to come on there and say, okay, I'm a non-Muslim, don't believe in Islam, not interested to accept Islam, uh, but I've heard these things about Islam that seem very negative. Can you explain? And that's fine. We don't mind doing that. There are streams for that. But this particular one is Doubt Busters. It's for Muslims who have doubts or people who've encountered doubts. When you do come backstage, please have your cameras on so we can just identify you. And then we'll just briefly interact with you before we get you onto the stream. And of course, we'll give you a few moments to turn your camera off um, if you don't want to be seen, basically. Uh, Dr. Imran, how have you been? Mashallah, as I think we did a stream on Sunday. So yeah. we've got one today. And inshallah, ta'ala, we're at Speaker's Corner on Sunday. Uh, uh, inshallah, ta'ala, Allah willing, of course, if, if everything goes smoothly. So any brothers or sisters that would like to uh, come and meet us at Speaker's Corner, it would always be uh, lovely. So it is always much uh, lovely to meet you um, and just have a, you know, a chat with you, inshallah. Um, so, okay. So, guys, uh, we've got a few people already joining backstage uh, please have your cameras on so we can identify you, interact with you. Uh, and then once we've verified you and your identity, uh, we'll get you on. Uh, Dr. Imran, sorry, I, I did ask you, how's your week been? <laughs> Alhamdulillah, it's been, it's been really good. I can see from, uh, we're, we're actually going to be a speaker's corner the following week. But, um, oh, oh we're, so, not here. we're not there this Sunday. No, no, there's been a slight change in schedule because of... Oh, oh right. okay, but, sorry guys, I, I, I messed just up. have here. a look okay. at your messages. So, no um, so anyone wanting to come down and uh, say hello, inshallah, please... Uh, okay. Please, the, the week after this, inshallah. So I haven't seen the memo yet. I have to go back and <laughs> read through the messages. I have been actually very busy today, so... Yeah, I'm sure. You look uh, like... Uh, you know, it's been difficult, but yeah, inshallah. Okay, so we've got Brother Jesse already in the back. Uh, Brother Jesse, can you just give me a thumbs up if you don't mind? 
that's great. We'll get you on first. And even though you came on last, but you've have you, you have your camera on. Uh, and so you that get on helps, first. That's how it works. Um, Jesse, welcome to the stream. Assalamu alaikum, brothers. Walaikum salam, brother. Hey, brothers, you on today? Thank you for doing the stream. Appreciate it. Alhamdulillah. Um, okay, so it's not a doubt. It's a question that I can't answer that someone posed to me. Sure. Uh, it's about the hadith uh, in general. Mm -hmm. um, I know, you know, we know it came, you know, it's preserved, you know, the same methods, same people as the, the Quran. Um, but the questions that, he, that this person gave to me were about specific um, specific hadith, for example. And, and he asked me in a way that, uh, you know, kind of, kind of making the, the claim that it can't be true or it's, it's a false thing or it doesn't make sense or, you know, that, that type of way. So I, I didn't have a response and I've tried to research and think so. Figured I'd come here and ask you guys. Not a problem, inshallah. Is there any is it is there any particular yeah. hadith that he did quote to you that you found? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, the first one he brought up was um, about the about black cumin. I kind of mm -hmm. find the answer for that one, so that's pretty solid in my mind. Um, the next one he brought up was I think it's Bukhari uh, fifty four forty five about mm -hmm. the poison mm -hmm. um, and. You know, eating the dates, eating the seven dates in the morning or something like that, you won't mm -hmm. be affected mm -hmm. by poisons. And so I guess my question is, you know, I mean, I have, I have many questions, but the question I propose to you is that are some of these hadith meant to be literal or is it a more of a. I can I can't think of the word of what I'm trying to say, but instead of instead of literal, it's more of a you know, faith-based thing of if you do this, if you if you follow this, you are obeying Allah's wishes and following the, the Sunnah of the Prophet and so I would tell them. Sorry, if you don't mind, just repeat the um, the, 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 I, uh, the the Bukhari, which was 50? I think it's um, 5,445. Okay, 45, okay. Okay, yeah. that's great. Okay, I'll get that up, inshallah. Okay, um, so let's... Dr. Imran, if you'd like to start, uh, the the so uh, just to read the hadith out in case you don't have it up, Doctor. It says I asked Anas bin Malik about uh, the recitation of the Prophet. He said he used to pray long certain sound sounds very much. Are you sure that's the? Are you that sure might not. One? I'm sorry, that might not be the. Hold on. I, I, okay, so it, if I don't have the number, but it's the one where if you eat. Dates in okay. the morning, you are protected from. Uh, is it is it seven ajwa seven ajwa dates? Is that right? There you go. Yeah, that's the one. I'm sorry. Seven, seven ajwa dates. Yeah. Okay. Let's see that one. Yeah, four, fifty-four forty-five. I believe it is. If I'm not mistaken. Forty-five. Uh, yeah. So it says, uh, "Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, said, he who eats seven Ajwa dates every morning will not be affected by poison or magic on on the day he eats them, basically. And what was the what was the question about it? So he he was asking me, is this literal? You know, kind of laughing like this this can't mean you eat dates in the morning and you can eat poison. You know, kind of relating it to the Christian versus 
about drinking poison or whatever, and they won't be affected and rattlesnakes and all of that. So he's making a comparison. Like, this is the same thing. Is this, does this mean literal or something else? And I, I, I couldn't answer. And what was his background? The person who was asking he's the Christian. question. He's Christian. He's a Christian. So, he was yeah. laughing at a Christian verse. No, no, no. Well, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give him dawah, right? And I'm talking about, you know, the authenticity of the Bible and things like that. And um, then at the end, he said, okay, can, now I, can I ask you questions? So then he started going down the hadith and and so forth. This is one of the brought up. So I think just in terms of how to give dawah, because this is really interesting of how to give dawah to somebody who's raising these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that's really interesting, especially when you're talking to a Christian, is because you were saying he was talking about biblical verses about the rattlesnakes, etc., and he was comparing them. Um, but the really interesting thing is actually what he's gone to is not uh, any anything like the Quran or Tawheed or you know the mechanism of salvation and none of these really important things. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. I found so. For example, let me. How can I put it this way? Say if you had never come across this hadith in your life as a Muslim, mm-hmm. would it affect your Islam in any way whatsoever? Not at all. It wouldn't at all. So what he's so this is something really important to bear in in mind that what he's done is and, and actually you should point it out to him is what he's, what you've done is you've you've gone to nothing really substantial within this, and you know the, if you look at because because in this hadith is very interesting. Well, you can look at the hadith as well. We'll look at the hadith as well. But I think that it's really important to you have to get underneath the question to see what actually is uh, uh, he's, is he talking about. So he's found something that he feels is. Um, naturally objectable. Uh, you can object upon it in terms of uh, his experiences or the, what people understand. And he's mocking sort of th- this thing. Uh, w- and and at the same time, acknowledging that there are similar things in the Bible, right? Uh, I, I wouldn't say he made the comparison, but, you know, it, it's kind of... Who made the comparison? Yeah, well, I, I don't remember. Maybe maybe I did, maybe he did, but... Um... Because yeah, it's really important, it's, it's, it's important to because that's really important to, from the tower basis that you deal with the really the, the really oh. fundamental things. But when you come to things like this, I suppose I mean I've I've to be honest with you, I, 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 it's not something I've come across before. But just looking at it, how would I go about looking at this, and what would I do? Obviously, I'd I'd read into it a, a more and get to do some more research. But just looking on the surface, it talks about uh, whoever eats seven ajwa dates. These are sort of a specific type of date that's related to the area of Makkah Medina and every morning will not be affected by poison or magic now there's there's it's interesting because it, what's so there's a spiritual aspect to this because mm-hmm. obviously magic is something that's not uh, natural by uh, carried out by natural means and I don't know which what poison is being referred to so I wouldn't take this as a general word so this this could be it could be figurative the word itself so there's where how can we approach this the word is uh as as at face value, referring to something specific that's not clarified in this particular hadith. This is one way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you could say it's, the word is figurative, talking about a way of um, uh, talking about um, um, things that would poison you, like in your mind, your spirit, etc. And then it's linked specifically to much. There's many ways of looking at this without it being an issue. The way the hadith would be authenticated is by looking at um, two things: the, the the chain by which it came to us. Mm-hmm. Who's narrated this from whom, and is that uh, verifiable, and is it strong? And um, the other thing is, is that um, 
is the does the it, and the text itself is it something that that, that that makes sense? So poison can be referred to as many things. There's a brother actually has posted something uh, from the background. I'll explain this and I'll just put it up. It's up here. It's just come up here. The word in the hadith, asam, which means poison, poisonous substance, toxin. Ibn Qayyim, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, said he defined this word. Ibn Qayyim defined this word as the poison of worms living in the stomach. So it's talking about something specific. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is so I w- I gave you a like general way of approaching this, but this is uh, this is how Ibn Al Qayyim explained that this is talking about something specific, a specific type of uh, uh, worm, a poison that's related to some sort of parasite within the stomach. Okay. So it's not so it's not a it, no one saying like like the like the straw like the way it was arranged the straw man that this is talking about. You take this and then go and drink some cyanide and you'll be fine. That's not what it's referred to. Right. For someone to make that, they've got to really, you know, they've got to establish their case. Does that make sense? It does. But this is a, this is all secondary. Because what is secondary to is that monotheism, preservation of the of the of the Quran. Do you believe in the in the, the language of the messenger, the, the message of the messengers? Do you believe in um the the mechanism of salvation is there forgiveness, especially when you're talking to someone from a Christian background. So, so the, uh, just a follow on from that. So, the linguistic interpretation of the word "sum" is that the hadith refers to toxins that secrete that parasites secrete in the human body, and not to other artificial or natural poisons. So, it's talking about something that's specific that's not specified within the hadith itself, which is what I th- suspected in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, sir? Brother Jill? It does. I, yeah. I think Brother yes. Jesse, what Dr. Imran said there is very, very important. He's looking at it from the spectacles of a Christian. Um, and they literally believe you can drink poison uh, right. as somehow of a, of a proof of the, the Holy Ghost or God, you know, the belief in God saving you. In Islam, actually, that would be haram to do. That would be suicide. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in Islam... We are not permitted, actually, to cause ourselves deliberately any physical harm because one of the tenets of Islam is that your body is something that is alone to you. It's lent to you. It's given to you. You don't own it. Allah owns the body. So the body has rights over you in terms of maintaining your body, keeping it fit, keeping it healthy. Um, you know, so all of these things actually are part of Islam, exercising and eating healthily and making sure that your stomach does not protrude your chest, for example, for a man. Um, that would require <laughs> you to be eating healthy and I, no doubt exercising because you can't <laughs> generally do that without. Right. So <clears throat> what he's doing is comparing uh, what Christians do with dancing with snakes, you know, and they say that you say to they, they're in control of and then they get bitten, of course, and many of them do end up in hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, often, you know, uh, you're sort of taking critical care. And he's sort of assuming that you eat these seven days and then you can just drink poison like the Christians do. And 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 I think Imran did touch on that. And I think that's where he's got that wrong. And I think the other thing Imran did, of course, already explain as well, uh, is that, you know, when we read a hadith, or we have to understand what the tafsir was. Was there further explanation? Because this is just a very little sentence potentially of a much larger explanation but that one of the sahabi he heard this and he said i heard that and it, and it will be a hadith and it's sound because it has a link but that does not necessarily mean that just by reading that one line you'll get the entire context of what it is 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think basically he's strawmanning our position. I think that's that's really the the, the, the term here. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Does that make that. sense to you, uh, Brother Chiu? It does. It does. Yeah. It, that that clarifies a lot for me. Um, so in so if I were to if I were to come across somebody who were raising this as a point, mm-hmm. um, I would reemphasize the. Um, really that that this does not deal with the fundamental differences that we we need to talk about which is um the you know who is god nature of god um our relationship with god mechanism of salvation these are really the fundamental things because really it's about us getting to to paradise the second thing is then to go into even if you've never come across something that you know, like I said, I need to research this a little bit more and look into what the words mean. But how I would approach it is, and you can you can be very honest and straightforward and say, my approach would be to try and understand: is this talking about a specific thing that happened? Is there more context to this? Um, I I don't don't assume that it was general. That's very unlikely. Or is this an allegory? Is it referring to another type of poison, like you know, uh, someone's poisoning your mind or your spirit or your soul, something like this? Um, but that's not a, that's not available from the context here. But I'd have to look at it. But there's many ways for me to reconcile this. And as Brother Abbas really importantly put, we're not allowed to harm ourselves. So the concept of drinking poison after taking dates yeah. to test it would be out of our remit, anyway. Yeah. Um, but let's get back to the most important things. Do you believe that you know God can die? You know, really just the basic fundamentals, mm, mm, mm. Uh, and that's more important than you know uh, finding this hadith. Uh, because a, a the thing, sense, the, 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 also the thing Jesse here is that. A Muslim can be a full, c- complete Muslim without eating seven ajwa dates every day, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're no lesser a Muslim right? because you eat the seven dates or you don't eat the seven dates. Like Imran said, if you never heard of this hadith, it would, it would not detach or detract from your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So it, it, these are very peripheral issues which really... Um, as Imran said, you need to know the grammar. You need to. These, these are English translations. Often, to the best of their ability, they've translated them. Um, but you know, on face value, this is something that we need to always be very careful of. Whether it's the Quran or the or the Hadith, if it's, in, if it's translated into another language, you're already a secondary, third, you know, tier uh, person trying to understand that, right? Um, yeah. and, and that's very important. Uh, just out of interest, though, what was the question about the black lady? I want to know about that as well and what you found about that, if you don't mind. Oh, about the cumin? Yeah. So, so what was it about? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the I think that's Bukhari 5687. And uh, forgive me, par- I'll paraphrase. Uh, it's that it's that it heals that it heals. It's, it's a healing agent. Um, and it heals all things, something to that effect. Um, okay, so it's uh, we went out and Ghalib bin Abjar was uh, accompanying us. He fell ill on the way, and when he arrived at Medina, he was still sick. Ibn Abi Atik came to visit him and and said to him, uh, treat him with black cumin. Uh, so the, I think Imran, the, the, this word black cumin or these words, this description, black cumin, is that correct? Because some people do say it's a different seed, but take five or seven seeds and crush them, mix them, uh, mix uh, the powder with oil and drop the resulting mixture into both nostrils. For Aisha has narrated to me that she heard the Prophet say this black cumin is healing for all diseases except a Aisha said, what is Assam? 
uh, and he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, death, basically. Yeah, so this is Black Seed, isn't it? Which yeah, Black is, Seed, uh, yeah, yeah. So what was, what was he saying about this? Or the person who put this up for you? Jesse, Again, the, the theme of, you know, because he gave me a bunch of, a bunch of different hadith, but his general theme is that, do you really believe this is true? Yeah, I believe this. So, right, right. I, I mean, but I just didn't have a way to answer him is, is the problem. You know, like oh, I, so I, if, I said, you, if you said to yeah. him, yes, I believe this, like I believe this hadith, yeah. yeah. I use, you don't know how much black seed oil I use. So there's a, and there's lots of studies done. I think the right. the actual name of black seed is Nigella sativia. That it's If you look it up to herb, there's lots and lots of tests done on this and it's uh, there we go um and it's really really um known to do have certain immune effects within your body so mm -hmm. i i have no issues with this at all neither, neither did i the, 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 problem, the problem there might be is that actually we have a lack of we have a lack of if you imagine you have to imagine there's no one's really researched into this enough because there's no money in it so if you could find if you could find a treatment that would help to cure or, or get rid of many diseases that was didn't cost very much, uh, why would you why why don't you pursue something else that's going to give you more profit? So it's not something that's sort of commercially something that would be interesting for any pharmaceutical company to research. Um, but actually, there's been studies even I mean, if you even if you looked up HIV studies with uh, Nigella sativa, you find lots of uh, interesting stuff. And I think um, uh, what you will see is actually there's a it has a really big a boosting effect on on the, the immune system, and I when it's particularly when I'm unwell, and obviously as I work as a doctor, so I come across lots of ill people all the time, getting viruses all the time. I take you know well, some of the things I do is I take some vitamin C, I take vitamin D because we know that they they both help, and then I use a lot of black seed oil as well, and usually that will have a big effect uh, on on my health and and uh, my and this is anecdotal because there's no obviously not randomized controlled trials but i can say the same for my family and other you know extended family who who have similar approaches uh, when they're unwell so i have no issue i have no issues with this and mm -hmm. i and uh, and there are some times where the prophet peace upon him would give treatments from his own mind and, and he says them and some i think there was a case where something didn't quite work i think it was a recommendation for uh, how to how to do some fa some farming, farming. Thing, i can't remember farming and it didn't work out and then the person came back to the prophet said and you know prophet said, you said this and it didn't work and he said well i'm not I, i'm not a farmer you know that's something along the lines of this so some of the things are something that the prophet Swanim has said and some of the things are actually uh, these are sort of from another source uh, are, you, are you from allah and, and it's very important to understand what's what's being said in the context of them but i have you know i i have quite a great faith in uh, black seed oil uh, because of statements of the prophet peace him like this so no, that's not an issue for me personally. And in fact, in the hadith, we do have uh, people who said to the uh, who asked the Prophet Sallallahu when he when he said a particular uh, statement on a matter. They said, "Rasulullah, is this from Allah or is this from you?" And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, "No, no, this is from me." In other words, he he differentiated his opinion about something to the opinion of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So, if it's from Allah, the companions realized that they could not differ on the matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and this particular uh, sahabi it was a woman, and then she said, "Then I then I choose not to take him back." Basically, she was referring to uh, her ex, basically, uh, and she said, "Then I, then I choose not to take him back." And the Prophet Sallallahu said, "That's your choice." So you know, th so this is important for us to understand, inshallah, as well. But Jesse, uh, very very nice to have you on, brother. I think this is your first time, right? I've, I've been on before, but it's been so a you while. have okay. It's, it's been a while, yeah. Mashallah. Well, uh, it was a pleasure to speak to you. Okay, so doctors uh, got something on from PubMed. Oh, that's a very respected journal. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found I, I was able to research this one, so I, yeah, I don't have so any there's lots of research that's done on this, yeah. so, particularly yeah. with HIV. But we know from a wide range of, um, you know, it has lots of properties, both pharmaceutical and biological. Um, and uh, if you look, if you look at the studies that they've done, there's there's lots and lots of positive effects that have been seen, and you can sort of see all of the. If you look at the articles that uh, that follow it, there's there's lots and lots from from ischemia to cancer treatment to you know HIV even. You know, if you look and you can study and you can find. So I have no issues at all with this at all. If but um, my even before I knew of the studies, you know, obviously our faith trumps this sort of stuff but no that even even if someone were to show me that i didn't have an i had never had access to this i wouldn't have an issue with that so somebody making a, a claim that something is that can be used as a treatment and the other person hasn't researched it they're in a position of a lack of knowledge so they can't say yes or no uh, you'd say okay that's interesting what evidence do you have for this claim that this works and then we uh, can and this, is an, uh, this is an argument for islam not against islam yeah, <laughs> Because you have a man in the, in the 7th century, Sallallahu Wasallam, who was a shepherd. And, you know, and he says, you know, this is really, this is an amazing thing. You should use this. Yeah, He recommended people to use it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I don't know, and I might be wrong, but I don't know but some long t- tradition, tradition that the Arabs had of using these seven seeds or these seeds, you know, black seeds. But certainly we do find it that the Prophet recommended it. Um, and there seems to be great benefit now, somewhat uh, pr- provable as well. So I think it's a it's an argument for, not against, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brother, okay, pleasure well, to have you on. Thank you, brothers. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu brother. Lovely to speak to you. Assalamualaikum. Okay, so last word. Since you've got your camera on uh, permanently, we'll actually get you on next. <laughs> uh, l- last word. Welcome to the stream. Hi, thanks for having me on. Can you guys hear me okay? I can hear you just fine, brother. Okay. Um, yeah, I had a question uh, in regards to the uh, the daily prayers. Um, I was speaking to a, a Quran alone person, and uh, we had a bit of a back and forth. And um, so I was able to raise some good points, but he raised one where he said that um, there is a hadith where uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, um, I believe he was in heaven, and uh, he discussed the amount of daily prayers, and it was at 50 initially, and then he kept on going back and forth. Or maybe I'm um, explaining it wrong, but that's what I what I what I heard that he was going back and forth, and then uh, they kept reducing it by five, and he kept on speaking to uh, Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, and then eventually it came down to five. So my question is uh, about this interaction. Um, you know, why why is the Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, going back and forth with God, and why is God telling us to do fifty prayers as opposed to uh, to five, which is much more um, doable? Like I, I guess I should say, thank you. Okay, well, actually, it's a good. It's a good question. I mean, we are told that the Prophet وسلم, on his way back from the seventh heaven, he meets uh, Musa salam. And when he informs Musa salam that Allah has ordained fifty prayers for his ummah, Musa salam says to him, "Go back. Your people will not be able to perform this. They won't be able to do it. It will be outside of their capacity." So the Prophet kept going back. Until finally it was reduced to five. And then Musa alayhi salam said to him again, وسلم, he said, look, um, your people are not going to be able to do it. Go back. And then the Prophet said, I'm shy to go back now. I can't do it. I can't go back now, basically. 
So Alhamdulillah, the figure got fixed to five. Now, of course, we learn this from Hadith. Now, him being Quran only, the problem that he has is, of course, he rejects generally any Hadith that he that he finds questionable. And I mean, not questionable because of authenticity, questionable simply because he doesn't seem to agree with it or doesn't like it or whatever. Right. And he, he, he'll reject it. But, yes. uh, you know, I was hearing, um, trying to get the reference actually from the Quran. Uh, Imran, maybe you can pull it up with the searching these words that Allah re Allah revealed the book and the wisdom. So this is mentioned, Imran. Allah 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 revealed the book and he re and he revealed the wisdom. Okay, so uh, what verse is that, Imran? If we could just put that up. And the question now arises: Allah is referring specifically to the Quran, the book. And Allah is referring to something else, which is also wahi, which is the wisdom. So where is this wisdom? What is this wisdom? What is this second component to the wahi, to the to the, the guidance for human beings? And it's the hadith. It's the prophet who teaches the people how they must effectively, uh, you know, how they must um, uh, practice their religion, practice Islam. And it then goes into the finer points of how you fast and what breaks your fast and all of the different things when it comes to that, how you pray, uh, zakat. So many things are explained in, in much greater detail in in the hadith. Uh, I don't know if you managed to find that ayah, Imran. Um, I did have the reference just written down here the other day. Um, and I must have misplaced it. Uh, I, I haven't. I, I, I can't type very well at the moment. Uh, the... Oh, there we go, two, two, one, two, nine. So, but what was the problem? What, why was he raising it? What was the issue? I think I think he was raising it in terms of like, it seems kind of like un, unimaginable that the prophet, peace be upon him, would kind of need to hear fifty, and then you know, through Musa, he's Musa Salihullah, he's reducing it by five every time, every time, every time, every time, and why would then be, also, why would, be, why would that be unimaginable? I well, it's kind of like um. It also starts with like why why is God starting with fifty? Like if, if we had to do fifty salah, like that would be like next to impossible almost, right? Like no, there's like, a hikmah there, but you have to think about it. But what is the so because a lot of this is this is like personal incredulity? Do you understand as as a, yes. as, as, a, as a as a way of argument? Like I can't imagine this. Wow, this must be can't be true. It it doesn't follow. Right. Can you imagine somebody somebody traveling uh, faster than the light speed out of the seven heavens? To can you imagine that? I guess like because I remember what he said was like you know if God told you to do ten prayers a day, would you really say to him no 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 reduce it to five? But that's not what happened. Okay, okay. Because it wasn't like an argument. Just <laughs> right. We right, make yeah. we make all the time. We we don't say that. Um, uh, oh, you know, oh Allah, you've this is my life and I'm just going to live it. You say, so, oh, Allah. Please make this happen for me. Oh Allah, I ha I'm having this difficulty. Make it easy for me. So we we always beseech Allah to uh, maybe change our circumstances. And and when the when the prophet and prophet peace be upon him is of course you know he's uh, he's able to do the same thing. And uh, you have to remember, even on the day of judgment, he will have that intercession role for us as well. So the idea, so it's not a, it's not actually a very strong argument. It's like right. just because you, I mean, you can you say to, I mean, the same thing can be said. I mean, there could be someone at the time of the prophet peace be upon him who would say, could say, look, you know, how can an illiterate person bring this and then claim it's from God? It, it can't be that. I don't believe it. It's impossible. 
It does. My mind can't imagine it. That's not an argument, right? It's literally so not guess, an argument. So sometimes you have to just say, "What kind of an argument is that?" I guess is it's the, more is, like is a, a criteria for uh, rejecting something just because it's too much for you to imagine. So, and if so your imagination like, is limited, then it would limit the thing. So, the hikmah behind this is actually that we get the the same reward as for as fifty salah for the five that we pray. Right, right. Now, Allah could bring about a set of circumstances that allows Him to. Uh, it's one thing giving like this, but allows Him to bestow a benefit for us to know the benefit. So, bring about a set of circumstances where we become aware of the great benefit that we've been given and, and the mercy that we've been given. Because if Allah had made it fifty, we would pray, be praying fifty. But Allah has given us the reward of the fifty uh, by praying five. So we have to understand the difference uh, between this. So uh, and, and so this is a way of hikmah coming forward. So there is a you know it's not. I don't see how this person is painting it. Right. Um, so would it be more fair to say that like was more of like. The Prophet, peace be upon him, pleading for mercy to reduce the prayer rather than no, an brother, argument. This is, a, this is a lesson from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah, Allah knows what's going to happen. Allah, Allah knows that the Prophet sallallahu is going to go, go, going to go back. Allah knows that the figure is going to end up in five. Allah knows all of this. So the question now is, why did Allah still allow that to uh, you know, uh, transpire? Why not just give yeah. him five and that would have been the end of it, right? right. But in this is a lesson for us. That you know what, if you're waking, if you're struggling to wake up for Fajr, if you're struggling to read your Dhuhr and your Asr and your Maghrib and your Isha, just five prayers, just imagine how it would have been if there were 50 prayers. Yes. And and then then it makes it seem a lot easier that actually, subhanAllah, we've only got five. We could have had 50. Yes. Our entire day could have literally every 20 minutes. And it's Every important to understand what, what, what Musa al-Islam, what was his reason? He says that Musa al-Islam, I've just got the hadith up here, just sort of. Um, Musa said, your followers cannot bear 50 prayers a day. And by Allah, I have tested people before you. And I've tried my level best with Bani Israel in vain. And so he's, he, so this is, this is, uh, for, this is, all this is coming to us. And really what we're learning is that Allah could have given us anything that he wished to do. And this is really just a great benefit that's come to us that we're going to have this, um, we're going to have this reward of the, of the fifty, by praying the five. But you see how the prophet when he was approaching this, if if it was some sort of argument, why say uh, I have requested so much of our Lord that I feel ashamed and I am now satisfied, and I surrender to Allah's order. So this is like there was no there was no sense of so this is humble asking Allah to make it easy for the people because you know the prophet peace upon him you know he. he the companions report here that he would be up in the night with his hands in du'a, just saying, Ummati, Ummati. My Ummah, my Ummah. And he would be crying. Now, we can't imagine. I mean, I, it moves me to tears when I think about this. It gets very, very emotional that there's an individual who really, really cares about his Ummah so much that he's making du'a to Allah, even, you know, on, we're not talking about this Israel Miraj, but we're talking about he's praying for us. And do are we deserving of are we deserving of? Are we are we fulfilling? I mean, Subhan. If the Prophet Muhammad was here now, would he regard us as being from amongst those who follow how, follow his way? Really, we have to really question ourselves and be thankful for the great mercies and the benefits of being given fifty the rules of fifty salah for praying five. Um, Subhanallah. So I don't think I think an argument from personal incredulity is not substantial enough for me to be worried about. And I would just point it out and say that someone could make the same argument to you for the Quran. And 
according to them, you would have to reject it because it doesn't fit their personal incredulity. You have to come with something more than this. And, okay. and, also, and also, brother, where does it stop? Because then you could say, well, Allah is almighty. Why does Allah need angels? Allah doesn't need angels, but okay, then why does he have them? You know, uh, why do we, what, why did the Prophet say that there are not four fingers anywhere between the earth and the heavens where there is another angel? Right. Subhanallah. So you're talking about what trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions. And, you know, we could go on for a long time of angels. And people will say, well, why did Allah create so many angels? You know, but so, you know, there's a wisdom behind everything. And, you know, to, to sort of to sort of have one little pixel of information and then make a judgment about Allah who has the complete picture, every dimension of that picture. Subhanallah. Right. Uh, and then and then it's just it's a silly I think the problem that you have brother really fundamentally with this person is not really about this particular hadith all he's trying to do is cause doubt within hadith itself right because he rejects them he, you know, or he rejects anything that doesn't uh, you know is not palatable to him uh, you know they they reject it they throw it out basically and they say oh it has to make sense well, makes sense to who to what to, to you, to you with your limited knowledge and understanding and uh, limited faculties of reasoning and everything else it has to make sense to you uh, or does it have to make sense to the prophet sallallahu who was explained these things and allah who has an infinite wisdom and knowledge about these things and that that i i would believe is where we should have our trust sure just uh, just to I, clarify I believe, yeah, yeah just to add so it, it, it may someone hearing this may think that abbas is saying that we shouldn't use our reason that's not what he's saying no uh, you use your reason, of course, but there are some things like the unseen that you have that the way you are the ex, you come to accept them is because of you've established the foundations and you've established that the authenticity of the scripture and the prophethood of the prophecy upon him, and you that's the foundation upon which you lay things. And then I've never seen an angel, but do I believe in them? Yes. So I have a good re, I have a good reason for believing the angels. So there's so it's about it's about Allah talks about believing in the unseen. Um, and the way you do that is you, you you don't do it without using your mind and your ration. But what this person is bringing is uh, just their own in, in, incredulity. And that's not, yeah. it's not really an argument. And if that's well, really where doctor, he's look, with, If I come to yeah. you and I have an ailment and you say to me, Bas, you know what it is? It I've done all the tests and everything. I'm pretty sure it's this and this is the medicine that you need to take. Yes. They will. I, I might ask you some questions. Uh, you might give me some answers, okay? But there'll come a point when now you're being a doctor for the last 15-odd years or whatever, studying and being in medicine for the last 25 or 30 years or whatever, is going to be at a level where I can't simply catch up with a 15-minute conversation, right? So I'm going to have to suspend, effectively, my decision-making, okay, to a, a, a superior knowledge, which in this case happens to be another human being, but he seems to be qualified in that particular field. And that could apply to anything. Neurosurgery could apply to, you know, a, a general practitioner like Dr. Imran. It could apply to, uh, you know, I don't know, an architect, a uh, building controller, you know, who does all the calculations for the steels and everything. It could apply to anybody, right? Eventually there comes a point where we all suspend our uh, our uh, questioning and we have trust in authority that is above us in in relation to knowledge okay now what about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge 
and 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 suspending so once we come to you know i've seen the doctor's certificate yeah he's a doctor or I've, i i know that he's a doctor because he's been employed by the nhs uh, so i know yes he's definitely a qualified doctor okay once i verify the quran is from allah i verify that for me this is a unique book in human history that is preserved that is indeed from allah and there's no other explanation then yes i will suspend Uh, my uh, further critical analysis of every point and i will then trust in whatever it tells me so there are lots of things that the quran tells us about the unseen about what's going to happen in the grave or uh, what's going to happen in the akhirah in the in the hereafter uh, you know life after death the angels it tells us about heaven and hell etc etc none of these things we can verify i believe just logically or using our reason it's purely on trust but as imran said we first verify the foundational concept of where that trust comes from and it comes from revelation that we convinced is from allah basically so i hope that answers your question brother yes it does thank you so much guys jazakallah khair for coming on brother okay okay assalamu alaikum bye assalamu alaikum guys we've got a few of you backstage please if you don't mind leave your cameras on so we can uh, you know just keep interacting with you and we can see you uh, and then once we can interact with you uh, you can switch your cameras off you don't have to have them on but there's the three of you at the moment backstage none of you have your cameras on first one to put the camera on and interact we'll get on to the stream next uh, doctor did you want to add anything at all for what we were discussing earlier you just muted yourself I don't mute myself now. Yeah, you know. unmuted and then you muted yourself. I'm just waiting for Asadullah to turn his camera on. Okay, Asadullah, just give me a quick thumbs up and then I'll ask Doctor while uh, you're coming on. Okay, Doc, sorry, Doctor, please go ahead if you wanted to say anything. Uh, no, no, that's fine. Please, I think okay. we'll uh, have a listen to. Asadullah, welcome to the stream. Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, I just have a general question regarding uh, two ayats that I came across while I decided to go on a journey of uh, understanding the Quran to get, to get hidayah. Uh, the first uh, ayah was regarding, so I don't know the English translation exactly. I might mis, uh, misquote it, but I know the Arabic. So it's, وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ شِفَاءٌ وَرَحْمَةً لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَا يَزِيدُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا Tabara. So I wanted to ask uh, a general question regarding this ayah, and that was: uh, Is is the uh, the shifa which Allah mentions, is it specifically for the believers, or is it anyone who comes to the Quran hoping to get shifa from the Quran? Uh, so what was the ayah? Sorry, the the, the reference again, brother. Uh, this reference. Is... Yeah, if you give us the verse, brother, we'll have a look. And... The chapter and verse, brother, please. Did you look at any tafsirs, brother? Uh, uh, any commentaries on this? Uh, not a lot, but uh, I, I, I've asked a few of my friends, and I wasn't wasn't really sure of their answer, and I wanted to ask uh, for more opinions on this. Because it kind of relates to my situation, and I want to uh, really 
find out the answer to this. Have you got the eye of there, brother, Imran? Uh, 12, but I don't know which verse. Uh, so any, any luck confining the verse for us? Uh, Last verse of Surah Noor, brother Jawad is saying. Let's have a look. Uh, so... Have a look and see. Bismillah. Oh, I don't think that's the seventeen eighty two. Some brother, brother El Neo. We sent down the Quran, uh, that of which is we sent down of the Quran, that of which is healing and a mercy for the believers, but it does not increase the wrongdoers except in loss. So that's specified believers within. Let me find uh, word for word. We can double check that for you. So here we go. Bismillah. We reveal from the Quran that which is a healing and a mercy for the believers, uh, but not, but it increases not the wrongdoing except in loss. Brother Asadullah, did you read a did you read a word for word translation? Because it's actually in the ayah. So I wanted to ask if this healing uh, is separated from the guidance to the believers or is this because what I could understand from this ayah was that we have sent down this Quran, uh, which is a healing and a guidance to the believers. I, I don't want to misrepresent it, it, the ayah. Say guidance. It says mercy to the believers. Sorry, mercy. Sorry, mercy. Right. Yeah. So what? what's I don't understand. Um, I think it's referring to believers. I'll have a look for a, a commentary that may add to that. Uh, but what was the what was the concern for you, brother? Uh, it was just a general concern because uh, uh, it's a, it's a something regarding what what I have been dealing with for a few years, and I wanted to. Do, I, I've came across this ayah a few times, and uh, I've used this as help to, to maybe get certainty in the Quran, maybe to get healing, shifa for any spiritual diseases, any sort of uh, diseases pertaining to the heart specifically. And so yeah. I was... What's the question? Why are you, What is the concern with the use of the unbelievers? No, no, there's no concern. I was just wanted to ask whether this healing was specific to the believers itself. That was, that's so let me, I'll, I'll read you a, I'll read you a, 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 a commentary. Allah tells us that his book, which he has revealed to his messenger Muhammad Sallallahu the Quran to which falsehood cannot come uh, from before it or bef behind it, is sent by the all-wise, worthy of all praise, is a cure and a mercy for the believers, meaning that it takes away whatever is in their hearts of doubt, hypocrisy, shirk, kufr, and inclination towards falsehood. The Quran cures all that, and it is a mercy through which one attains faith, wisdom, and seeks goodness. This is only for those who believe in it and accept it as truthful. It is a cure and a mercy for only such people. 
As for a disbeliever wronging himself by his disbelief when he has the Quran, it only makes him further from the truth and increases him in his dif- disbelief. The problem lies with the disbeliever himself, not with the Quran. So that's, I mean, that's really, uh, is that, I mean, that's a really straightforward commentary. Does that make sense? Because so, the verse specifies. So, so any believer who comes to the Quran, knowing that it is from Allah and is the and is the truth, but he still has a disease of doubt in him, uh, this is definitely a cure, and that that's what the ayah is referring to, right? Because I, I I don't see the how you could be a believer and also have doubt or. Uh, well, we're some, running something some called a doubt clinic for most. Uh, brother Asadullah, we're running something called a doubt clinic for Muslims. Um, so yeah, it can happen. Okay, okay, that ans- that answers my question. Thank you're not you you're much. not meant to, the idea that you're meant to be this sort of super castle of you know walking around without any shadow of anything happening. Doubt. I, I don't know there are many people that would be like this. Um, I think really we we are human beings and our iman goes up and down and we go and we can be affected by our environment and we can be affected by waswasa and all sorts of things can make, bring things up. We may have a conversation with someone that could set in that doubt. Uh, so it's not really, it's, I don't understand where, you know, I don't know why you may be perceiving that you need to be without doubt whatsoever or there's no, because but it's not like a, this isn't like a, you read this ayah and suddenly you're, everything is fine. This is a, a part of the process of that. So, I mean, when I hear the Quran, it has a big effect on you spiritually and also in, uh, intellectually, but actually you have to do uh, you know, research as well. So this is talking about a, uh, a spiritual effect of the Quran itself on the believers. Uh, this, this ayah hits home like personally for me as well, because, uh, because for over the past few years I've been dealing with, uh, Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I was really close to Allah a few years ago and uh, I was just uh, to the point of certainty where I could taste the sweetness of Iman and all of a sudden just a few doubts came into my heart uh, to the point where it wasn't really a doubt regarding any specific matter you could say or when it's it's us- it's uh, similar to when you have suspension of a matter so like what so the questions of what if where you can't really answer them or you can't pinpoint them and so those questions started coming into my mind and uh, I, I just took them in uh, into my heart and it's left this mark in my heart where I'm not really sure of anything to the point where uh, I've come to the Quran with the, with, with the intention of getting back that certainty. So that's why I wanted to ask the, the clear meaning of this verse. So I think the verse meaning of the verse is clear, but it sounds like you've gone through something, and uh, something's happened to you, and it seems like you're trying to find your way back from whatever that place was, inshallah. But you're you're a Muslim, right? I don't consider myself one to be one, but I pray, Alhamdulillah, I, I fast, I do all the rituals that Muslims have to. But deep down inside, uh, there isn't really that certainty that I that I used to once feel. And uh, whenever I try to converse with Allah or like ask Him for hidayah or ask Him for guidance, I re- I always come across the the thought in my mind of uh, what if you know you're just uh, there's nothing there or something like, and and I just really 
uh, once I accepted that in, it's really difficult to push it out now. And it's what if, to there's, the point what if there's nothing I, there? Yeah, it's just really, really general questions where I don't really have the answer. And I, whenever I try to find proofs for the for the credibility of Islam, uh, just this this sort of doubtful nature has seeped into my heart to the point where any proof I bring to myself, it's just uh, it doesn't have an effect in my heart. Are you are you are you look are you reading other material or looking at? Things that are sort of anti-Islam, anything like that? No, no, no nothing really. Nothing are, you, that sort. are you? Are your friends practicing Muslims? Yeah, Alhamdulillah. Okay, and you're practicing as well. You're praying and yes, doing yes. all the things. You, okay, so the I think one of the it's interesting because so where, where if you, without giving me too many personal details, where are you from, brother? I'm from the UAE. I'm I'm, I'm originally from Pakistan, but I've been born and raised in the UAE. Okay, okay. Uh, so, the, and, and the reason I ask is that to understand a little bit of the, your background. Now, what I would say is that is, this sounds like you're having um, a comp, you know, some waswasa and these things happening when you're praying and when you're making dua, you're getting these thoughts that come into your mind that sort of make you doubtful of the veracity of what you're doing. But some of these things is about uh, just looking at um, what the consequences of not believing in a creator or something would be if we lived in a world in which there was no creator. What right. what is what is what what are the what are the consequences of that? Do you have you ever thought of it? So if you reverse that question, what are the rather than thinking what if there's well what if there's nothing, think what are the consequences of if there were nothing? I haven't really given that a thought. That's right. So, so I mean, I'll, I'll give some, and I won't go into the details, but I'll give some answers to that particular question. So, if there were nothing, if there were nothing, then we wouldn't be here. Primarily, first thing, we wouldn't exist. The fact that we exist means that there was always something, and, there, and we don't have infinite regresses in in uh, in reality. So, there must be uh, a necessary being. That's first point. Second thing is those things that you think are valuable in your life. You have you have family, you have loved ones. Do you have family and loved ones, uh, Asadullah? Yes, yes. Okay. Then actually, the, anything that you think about them in terms of their value, in terms of the that what you care about them is meaningless. They are just simply a rearrangement of atoms that happens to be able to interact with you and you're just a meaningless arrangement of atoms that happens to be able to interact with them. Whether they suffer or they don't suffer, whether they live a good life or not a good life, whether they whether they have pain throughout their lives or not, or anything good or bad happens, is meaningless because the universe is a a, a a vast cold accident that um, does not have any function, purpose, meaning, value, justice. There's no such thing. This is these are these are the these are the uh, the necessary consequences of there being nothing. Anything that if you decide to live your life in a way that benefits others or you don't, it's equal. It's e there's no difference between those two positions. You know, whether you, whether you run over a cat or you run over a dog or you run over a child or you run over a woman, it doesn't make a difference. I, I think we, I think the brother, we, yeah, we dropped him. Maybe internet connection, it got dropped sure, off. So he may come on, but really that's the, really the point. So mm. a, a, a world in, or a universe in which there is no creator, if you conceive that, is it is leads inevitably to nihilism. Mm. 
mm. that there is nothing actually of meaning, nothing of value. There's no purpose. Uh, you, you're suffering. So, uh, you know, if you are suffering, just end it. Why, why continue? There's no point in carrying on. And a lot of people come to this is why in young men in the West, particularly where there's less religiosity, uh, death is uh, suicide is one of the highest uh, causes of death between the ages of, I think, 25 and, and, and 30s. We see this. And this is simply because there is nothing. They've been told people have been told of their lives that, you know, you, you can do whatever you like to do. You know, you will you can you can become a millionaire. You can have this and you can. And then they get to a stage where they where then this is not going to happen for me. I'm not going to be one of these uh, people who are these millionaires. And then they then they, then they look at what is the point of my life, and they have no purpose. So then, mm. what happens is they, you know, if you go, if you have no, if you have nothing that's given to you, you know, from uh, tra uh, transcendentally, either Allah has given you a purpose, you have status, value, and in in the eyes of Allah, human being is valuable in the eyes of Allah. Everyone. This is completely different. You'll be judged on your character, what you're doing in your life in response to your circumstances. All the injustices you see, they will be righted. So, so no one's going to get away with being unjust. So all these things are things that would make you bring about a better society, better human being and better existence for everyone. But this isn't paradise. It's not meant to be paradise. So there's going to be suffering here. There's going to be difficulty here. So... Um, I, you know, I hope Brother Asadullah comes back. But really, I do. I, I think the sometimes the way to approach this is that what are the consequences of not believing in a creator? And the consequences really are fundamentally nihilism. Yeah, nothing matters. Nothing is important. You know, people even we come across people who don't even know if they exist or not. Why would you have a conversation with someone who doesn't even know if they exist? You know, let them let them first work out whether they exist or not, and then come back to you and have a conversation. So may Allah make it easy and make dua for you, brother, that you, um, you know, that Allah strengthens your heart and I think you know, Allah helps you on this journey back and to strong iman. And I think if you're, you know, if you believe and you're doing all the actions and you're, you know, you're Muslim, inshallah, and may Allah keep you that way. So pur a purpose in life is really important and uh, a creator is, is something that brings about uh, in terms of giving you a purpose, a correct purpose. It can only come from a creator. Um. Alhamdulillah. So, you know, one thing just to quickly add there as well is that, and this is a general rule for all of us to consider. Uh, look, Iman is something that will go up and down. You're never going to be at the optimum level of Iman. Uh, when I say optimum level, I mean, of course, when we're not, we're not talking about prophets because the prophets were at that level all the time. That's how Allah purified them and created them. The Sahaba, the companions, used to say the same thing to the Prophet ﷺ. They said, when we're with you, we're just at this level. You know, nothing else matters. But when we go to our families, we get distracted, you know. We get distracted with this life, you know. And the Prophet ﷺ said, this is normal. It's only the prophets, basically, who are in constant uh, memorize, uh, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no point, even when they're sleeping, there is no point when they're not connected at that optimum level throughout the entire of the, uh, you know, their entire existence uh, in, in this. So we, we're not going to be able to emulate that. That's number one. Number two, be very careful, brothers and sisters, about any particular sin. I'm not I'm not talking about the brother here specifically. This does not apply to the brother who was on. This is just a general rule. Any sin that you are regularly 
conducting. It could be backbiting. It could be creating fitna, creating uh, arguments between people by spreading rumors. It could be pornography. It could be alcohol. It could be zina. It could be anything. And if you do any type of sin like this regularly, then know that your iman will be, uh, you know, um, uh, weakened. And shaitan will always, shaitan is very clever. He looks for a strategy. He doesn't just use the same strategy with every person. Some people have a weakness of women. Some have a weakness of men. Some have a weakness of alcohol. Some have a weakness of gossiping. He, he will whisper and then he retreats to entice you to do those things that he knows that you are more likely to do. So just be careful of that. Have your defenses up. Do your vikr, do your azgarat, remain in wadu. Make sure you do your fajr. Try to wake up for tahajjud and pray to Allah. Plead with Allah to guide you, to help you. And remember that the power of dua is incredible. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tell, complain to Allah that Allah I'm weak. And I'm falling into these doubts and shaitan is whispering, uh, you know, help me. Uh, and inshallah, the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always come to those who are sincere and who turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Imran, you've put a verse up there and, and do not be like those who forgot Allah. Uh, so he made them forget themselves. It is they who are truly rebellious. Uh, Quran 59, 19. So, Mashallah, the, the, so that's the other thing, sins, okay? S save yourself from sins, especially those that you do regularly. And remember, Tawbah is very powerful. If you do a sin, you make a mistake, you've done something wrong, immediately turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ask for Allah's forgiveness, be sincere, try to leave that particular sin, inshallah ta'ala. You know, Iman comes from Allah, and Iman is strengthened by Allah. So don't forget these things. And then, of course, the component about one is to save yourself from sin and the other is to do good deeds. Give sadaqah regularly, um, even if it's a small amount of money, five pounds a week, three pounds a week, whatever you can afford, give it regularly. Try to give it regularly, inshallah. And keep your salah. Make sure your salah, the salah is your backbone. Okay. Read your salah on time. If it, read it with khushu. If you're not reading it with khushu, then do some investigation. Why am I not connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why am I still connected to the dunya, to the world and its affairs? And inshallah ta'ala, you will find that things will improve. The last component, which is what Imran, mashallah, very in, in great detail, mashallah, said, is that we as Muslims need to understand why do we believe what we believe. You know, I was speaking with... Um, uh, mashallah, um, somebody on Sapiens Institute on their Lighthouse Project. Uh, if you have doubts, you can also book a place there on the Lighthouse Project. There are, mashallah, brothers who help out, um, Brother Hamza Sorsis, uh, Yusuf Ponders. Uh, there are lots of other, mashallah, brothers far more knowledgeable and intellectual than I am, mashallah, who do help out as well, um, you know, and, and run and manage that whole thing, mashallah. And some of these questions, you know, when I ask people, who have doubts, and I say, so why why do you believe in Islam? Why do you believe the Quran is from Allah? And they say, well, I don't know. And that is that's a problem, my brothers and my sisters. You need to know why do you believe in the Quran? Uh, so on Sapiens Institute, there's an interesting article with Imran Mashallah when he showed that short video last time on the last stream. Uh, there's an interesting article on Sapiens Institute. It's about a 75 minutes read. About the, about the miracles of the Qur'an. Why is the Qur'an a miraculous 
uh, book. Why? So, you know, spend a little bit of time, my brothers and my sisters, uh, researching these things. And what you will then find is that your iman is now grounded with your aql, which is your intellect, and of course, naql, which is to just do as you are told. Okay, uh, and this is very important for a Muslim. Uh, we need to be a, a people who learn and understand why we have chosen Islam. Why have we chosen to stick with Islam, stay with Islam? And there has to be more, I think, than just uh, because my parents told me so, or this is my culture, this is my... Because we live in an era now, uh, which is probably unprecedented. We never had this sort of challenging of belief systems um, in the in the way that the challenges are now being orchestrated uh, by people who generally want to, uh, to see the death of all religion, okay? Um, and so we need to up our game as well, and we need to, you know, arm ourselves with the knowledge to be able to tackle and navigate through these difficult waters because there's a storm out there. The reality is there is a storm out there at the moment. And if you're one of those boats that hasn't prepared then you will sink. So we need to be prepared, inshallah. Ta'ala. May Allah give us all hidayah guidance to enable us to be able to do that. Uh, so we've got Brother Ennis on next. Brother Ennis, just quickly switch your camera on for me once more and just give me a thumbs up. Yeah, lovely. Okay, you're on next. You can turn your camera off if you like. Brother Ennis, welcome to the stream. <coughs> Assalamu alaikum. Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, the work you guys doing on Speakers Corner, mashallah, is amazing. Uh, and inshallah, I'm, I live in Austria and I will come for a weekend, inshallah, just to see you guys and speak, have a word. Um, I have no doubt and alhamdulillah, but I'm a bit confused about uh, the schools of thought. And uh, I found myself uh, in the last time jumping and mixing. And I developed a bad habit, which is um, I look for the easy way. And I, I, I'm not sure if I consider myself out from these schools and really just focus on Quran and Hadith. If I don't know if that's healthier for me, because like I, I think that Looking for the easy way, it's just a bad habit that came from the jumping and mixing. Uh, so, brother, we have a couple of streams. I believe at least one stream I did with Sheikh Abu Alia on our channel. Um, if brother Anis or doctor can just search for that. It's why should we, uh, why should we choose a school of thought or something like that? It was with Sheikh Abu Alia. And it and he and he explains uh, why actually it is important to uh, to choose uh, one of the uh, schools of thought, which is basically just the well researched and established opinions of very major scholarship that is recognizably uh, very major scholarship in the history of Islam. And what and, and what the problems potentially are when you don't follow a school of thought. And I think that the, I would advise you, inshallah, watch that video. We'll try to search for the actual link and, and put it in the in the comments and maybe on the screen as well. Um, but I, I'd watch that video. Um, the, 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 as far as look, the school of thoughts are concerned, you know, the sheikh did say that. So, for example, even at the time of the Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you know, there were sahabas who, sahaba who had a difference of opinion on, on particular matters. 
And the Sheikh said, basically, it, it's permissible to follow um, somebody who is uh, recognizably uh, authenticated as a scholar, somebody who is uh, learned from a um, from a line of scholarship and from an established uh, scholarship, a university, college, madrasa, whatever it might be, and to follow their uh, uh, opinions in relation to giving fatwas or whatever it might be. Uh, and if they get it wrong, this is the important point, Brother Anis. If they get it wrong, then they only get they get one reward, and you're not accountable. Oh, I see. If they get it right, they get two rewards, and you're still not accountable. You know, of course, you're you're getting be- but you're going to get benefit thawab. So that, there's the link, brother. There, right? Yeah, sure. Thank you. If you do it yourself, you become your own mufti and you start doing fatwas for yourself. Uh, the chances are sometimes you'll even fall outside of the four schools because, you know, this is what happens when you're you're not particularly trained and you're not learned. And if you make a mistake because you haven't followed the prescribed method, go to those. If you don't know, go to those who have knowledge, go to the people with knowledge, those who do know, which is what the Quran says. Right. Now you said, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to follow this. I'm going to just do it my way. And whatever I feel is, is, is easy, whatever I feel is right, I'm going to go down that route. The problem that you have then is now if you make a mistake, it's on your shoulders. So basically, if I follow a school, it's lesser risk for me. Absolutely. Lesser risk of you going into territories and doing things that potentially might not even be in any of the four schools. And so it's a, it's a good idea from Outlook. And to be perfectly honest, Brother Ennis, you know, most of us, and I would definitely include myself in that, we spend very little time when it comes to researching and studying hadith. You know, Sheikh Abu Ali said to me that his teachers effectively would study something like between 12 and 14 hours, 16 hours every single day. And they've been doing that for the last 30 or 40 years because that's all they do. They research, they study, they give lectures, they write articles or they write books or whatever it might be. Their entire lives, basically, they, they are virtually spent in learning and teaching. Now, the sheikh did give a caveat, though. He said that you can't just go to any person who calls himself a sheikh. There are certain criteria. One of those would be that generally the consensus of ulama, of scholars, is that this person is trustable and they are, in fact, uh, they, they fall within the ijma, within the jamaat, within the, the majority of what scholars are saying is the correct way. They fall, fall within that. The other caveat is that they should have studied from a, a an official place, not somebody who just self-studied. He had 20, 50, 30, 40, 60, whatever number of books in his uh, behind his bookshelf. And because he's read all of those books, now he's a sheikh. Uh, this is not permissible in Islam. So there are certain criteria that we have to follow in order to make sure the person is, in fact, who, who they say they are. But if that person is sincere and they accidentally, they make a mistake because of a ruling that they, perhaps they made a mistake upon, they're not, sin, they're not sinful, they'll still get one reward. And if they get it right, they get two rewards. But of course, if somebody deliberately makes, uh, you know, errors and things like this, then they're accountable. They will be sinning. And it's a, it's a very major, uh, major sin. Um, yeah. So, Dr. Imran, if you want to add anything to that at all, inshallah, please, please go ahead.
Uh, just to re-emphasize, brother, and so there isn't there are there are differences between the four schools of uh, thought are um, minuscule; they're really really tiny. There's no key the key the differences. There's just differences about application, yeah, and they and they're small. And the other thing is, any of them is all of them are part of the uh, the Sunnah Wal Jamaah. They're all part of it. So any one of them is correct. Do you understand? The differences are minor, and it's just about um, yeah. and it's just really about finding one that is, and the, probably the way of choosing, a, and Sheikh Abdullah said the way of choosing one is one where you have access, accessibility to the scholars that are in your region. So if you if you went to the local scholars in your area and see what what they are, uh, which school of thought they follow, because they all are, all of them are fine, none of them are wrong. Do you understand? Yeah, I know, I know. That and if they, you, so it's really important to remember because sometimes we start to think like one is right and the other is no. They're all right. Yeah. Uh, you just find the one that's local to you speak to the scholars and and then the reason for choosing the one local to you is that if there is issues related to some uh, practical application of the of the dean in your life then you can go to um you can go to the uh, scholar and they'll be able to advise you from their knowledge base whereas if you if you are in an area where most of the people are say uh, hanafi and then you have an issue and then actually you're maliki then they will not be able to they will refer you to a maliki scholar if that makes sense yeah so I really recommend the, the the discussions that the Abu Alia had with the Abbas Mashallah. I think they're very it's worth watching. But um I agree with you that the problem is is that we start to make it up as we go along. We end up making a fifth or our own uh, school where we just pick and choose uh, for ease. And I think that, that is that's an issue because the if you if you're a scholar of a sufficient level where you can make your own distinctions and you get to the level you can do your own ishtihad, then that's a different thing entirely. Um, no, I'm not. They're very, not. very, yeah. Well, none of us are, brother. So this is why what we then do is we refer to those in knowledge to guide us on how to apply. And so this is why you choose someone in your local to you that you can access, who can advise you on um, a, the school of thought. And if you follow what the school of thought they're following, then you're probably going to be it's easy to get their answers for any questions that might arise. I hope that's useful for you, brother. Oh, that that strengthened my heart really much. I'm done. Well, I'll make I'm, it easy I'm for you, brother. I'm Thank you. Thank you. Salaam brother. Brother Afak, we're going to get you on next, inshallah, because you've got your camera on. Just give us a quick wave, if you don't mind. Sorry. That's lovely. You can switch your camera off now, brother, if you want to. Uh, and just a reminder to everybody else that's in the backstage, um, you know, if you do leave your cameras on, uh, you know, then we can obviously, you know, get you on a lot quicker. Um, and uh, if anyone leaves the camera on, we will actually get them on first, just because it makes things easier for us. Uh, Brother Afak, uh, welcome to the uh, stream. Thank you very much. Um alaikum, guys. Uh, sorry if you had to watch me. I just want to keep the camera on so you knew I was real. <laughs> sorry, Brother, say again, because your your voice is just crackling a little bit when you're, when you're sorry, speaking. Can you, can you hear me now? Yes. It's just a little bit of a crackle in the microphone, though, if you just want to... Maybe just keep it still, or let's 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 try, inshallah. Please, please right. ask me questions, brother. I'll try talking slower. Uh, Jazakallah for letting me on. Assalamualaikum. Uh, sorry again, you had to watch me eat. I was keeping that's the camera quite, on. That's quite all right. Please go ahead, brother. No problem. Um, so the question I have is, it's I'm a bit confused by this because I know that there's hikmah in the wisdom of the scholars and you know, the brothers who do help us with advice. And I don't believe at this stage that I have doubt, but I've got confusion. Mm -hmm. So it was on the basis of eating meat, which is 
non-stunned, which is halal, um, with the questions of when you see in debates where they talk about marrying women who are um, monotheists, who are Christians and Jews, which you have permission to do. Now, I haven't got intention to do any of this. I do try to obviously eat halal where I can and eat non-stunned meat. But the question that kind of raised the prelude to this question, which confused me, was in the Quran, obviously, it says um, many mentions of Ahl al-Kitab, people of the book, right? Now, in the Quran, I, I looked at this, I, I tried to do my own research and looking into it, and I was confused because on the on the Quran.com, in some ayahs where it says Ahl al-Kitab, it will say people of the book. In some ayahs, it will say in the translation, uh, people of the book or people of the gospel, but in the actual Arabic, it'll say Ahlul Injil. So, are we saying then that, you know, if my understanding is correct, that modern Christians and Jews who obviously are following something which is now um, tainted, which has changed, they are still considered people of the book? Or is Allah here referring to quote-unquote original Christians and Jews who are following as close to the untainted version? Because, I mean, there's other parts where, even in Hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, there, there was a person who came to the Prophet saying, I've been invited to eat at a Christian's house, and obviously I can't eat because it's haram. And the Prophet said, you can, if you say Bismillah. And um, I can pull up the full transcript, I'm just paraphrasing. Now, obviously, we can't eat haram meat, but then if you are unsure if they've read Allah's name on it and done proper zubah, you can say bismillah and eat it. So I'm getting a bit confused here. Uh, so, brother, a few couple of points here. Um, the, from my understanding, and doctor, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that generally the ulama still do accept uh, the people of the book um, as the Christians. Yeah, go on, doctor. Go on. Yeah, so... Brother, what you're doing is you're asking us for a fic. Uh, we're, we're not able to answer you fic questions. So right. there, there. Do you understand the difference? Yeah. So yeah. I understand you're trying to interpret the ayah as to see which people is referring to. Um, that's that's, and and I also know people who some they have gone to their scholars and the scholars have spoken to them and given them a, the ruling that for they regard the, the the people of the book are still current. And then mm -hmm. they, they, they go and they eat in all the different places. But the way that they've come and done, the way they've done that is they've gone to the scholar who has the authority to give them a ruling on this issue yeah. and they've accepted that ruling. And, there, and, I, and, I'm, and I am the, the people amongst other people who, who don't, don't eat from anywhere else except for, I know there's a halal from Muslims, um, to the meat I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, anything else, I'm happy to share food with whoever offers it. But... Um, but I don't do that, and that and that's based again upon the advice of a a scholar who has looked looked at the and given the advice. So what we're not able to do for you, unfortunately, because we're dealing with that's related to dawah, is to give you a fic response, uh, an answer to a ficky question. So what I would suggest is, if there's confusion uh, about the fact which which one which is a correct position. The best thing to do is to sit with a scholar in your region who you trust. Uh, if you don't, if you have an issue with finding someone like that, email us and we're happy to put you in touch with reputable scholars who can talk you through the issue, mm -hmm. and then you can be in a position to to see if you agree, uh, if if you agree or not, and then you can ask the the, the question about evidence and what they and what they mean. So, 
I, th- I for us, we're not able to go into the because what we're tr- we don't want to do is to tell you yes, these are the. You know, Imran, all, all, so all I was going to actually do, inshallah, is you're right. Of course, we can't give a fatwa, we can't give a fiqhi uh, thing. But the, what, all I can tell you, brother, is what I've heard from the scholars is that the the, the books were already changed. Uh, the Christians were already um, referring to Jesus as God, even at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Yeah. Because the Quran which is kind of what causes, which is what causes my confusion. No, no. So the point here is that those, those Christians that existed back then are, 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 in many cases, not very different from the Christians that exist today. You understand my point? Yeah, yeah. Because they were calling Jesus God back then as well. This is why the Quran corrected them. Don't say mm-hmm. three, right? Yeah. Um, yet there was still this concession that was given. Now, of course, any individual who's hearing this, that does not mean to say uh, carte blanche that that's a fatwa and you could go and marry any Jew or Christian because there are caveats. It, it talks about yeah. chast. It talks about practicing. So it's not just some, I don't want to obviously sound rude or, or crude, but some guy or some girl who's basically nominally uh, just Christian or, or Jew, but they're doing absolutely everything in opposite to, to Judaism and Christianity. And, you know, they've had a, a particular lifestyle and what have you. This is something you'll have to go to and speak to a scholar about. But there's no real confusion in terms of what the Quran is referring to here about the people of the book. The other thing about the eating of the meats, brother, um, mashallah, I heard a, a, a what I feel it seems like a very strong argument. Again, this is not a fatwa and this is not mm-hmm. a ruling. This is just something I heard from a scholar. Is that if a Muslim doesn't follow the tartib of slaughter, the, the, the prescribed method of slaughter, is the meat halal or haram? I would say, um, based on common sense, it's haram. Haram. So if a Christian or a Jew doesn't follow the tartib, i.e. slaughtering in the name of God Almighty, is it halal or haram? Haram. So what the ulama then say is that if a Muslim does doesn't follow the tartib and it's haram, how can a... Uh, non-Muslim not follow the tartib as well and then suddenly it become halal however the caveat there is there are some opinions that actually say no you can still eat it right mm-hmm. but this is where Imran is right that we can't give a fatwa per se but myself personally I don't eat meat uh, that is non-kosher. If it's kosher, I'm on a plane or I'm somewhere and there's kosher that's available because we all know that kosher is very, very strict in terms of its licensing and authentic- authentication. In reality, probably more strict than most Muslim halal meats that we can get. I'll eat, I'll eat kosher because the Quran allows us to do that, right? But again, this is not a fatwa. Get your own ruling. But I, I don't believe that there's any confusion, brother Afak. I, I hope that that sort of clarifies at least the confusion part for you. No, it, it does because, <clears throat> I mean, just so everyone's uh, clear, even like, for example, I gave the elaborated example of marrying uh, Jews and Christians. Allah himself, uh, himself clarifies that as well in the Quran where he says, don't marry the polytheists. So you yeah, know so that that's, what I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to say to you, brother Afak. This is where you'd have to take your particular case to a scholar who will perhaps ask you about the woman or ask you about the man. Well, not the man, because, of course, a woman can yeah, only yeah, marry yeah. a Muslim, but a, a, but, a, but the woman. Um, and, of course, there are very specific reasons for that. This is not about equality. It's just about, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, uh, sense. Um, 
But you, you go to that scholar and you ask them specifically for your masla. They may ask you specific questions that might be quite personal in their questioning and what have you. And then they may give you a fatwa accordingly. Um, but the general rule, brother, is I don't, I don't think there's any real confusion on the matter as such. And certainly, I don't think there's really much confusion on whether it's okay to go and eat a, a beef burger at McDonald's or not. I don't think there's much confusion, to be honest. I know there's a minority opinion. Some people say it's okay, but I, I, I don't think there's confusion on that, to be fair. No, that, that really does help, brother. Thank you so much. It, yeah. it was just because of my upbringing, I came up with a... I'm not going to elaborate on it, but I came up in a a sect of Islam where they had variations, we had bid'ah, and because I'm trying to adhere to the strict rulings and the sunnah, I want to double-check everything and make sure I'm not putting my own rulings on it. That my, my my advice to you, brother, is <clears throat> find a local scholar, somebody <clears throat> who's recognized to be a scholar, somebody that generally the scholars and imams generally agree that this brother is particularly trustable because he's learned properly from a, a, a proper place. And inshallah, connect yourself to scholarship, connect yourself to people of knowledge um, and you ask questions and inshallah, learn and go through, you know, um, their lectures and their courses and what have you. Inshallah, you'll find that very helpful. Inshallah. Thank you so much again. Guys. All right, brother. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you brother. Uh, brother Ahmed, if you can just give me a quick thumbs up. Lovely. You can come on next. Inshallah. Ta'ala. Brother Ahmed, welcome to the stream. Are you really Kashmiri? Yes, I am from Kashmir, actually. Yeah. It's, not, it's not false advertising, is it, brother? Yeah. No, no, I, I'm just kind of a proud to be a Kashmiri. No, because we know that Kashmiri people, mashallah, are very, you know, they're very good looking, mashallah. They're fair and, they, you know, they're handsome, mashallah. So, you know, we want to make sure that you're not just being an imposter here, you know? <laughs> no, I am from Kashmir. <laughs> and may God bless you for all the good works you people do in Hydro Park. I, I follow all of your work. Uh, but uh, uh, the Adnan, brother Adnan is my favorite because of his history knowledge. <laughs> okay. Adnan, Adnan Rashid, mashallah, is very good. One of my favorites as well, mashallah. Very good, mashallah. And uh, Dr. Imran, I just want to give you one compliment. I wanted to give you last time, but I forget that is I really like your voice, the way you speak. May Allah bless you. Yeah, we all like his voice as well. That's why we always <laughs> uh, like to talk with Dr. Imran. Uh, what so, was your question today, brother? Yeah, uh, my question is not about the doubt, but it's regarding what leads to that doubt. So nowadays, as we all know, this is uh, information revolution all over the world. You get bombarded with all the information. And now from recent, I have heard there's a new trend called so-called ex-Muslims. Now people claim to be ex-Muslim because they're targeting Muslims because they know these these people are going to respond. They're going to get more waves, which may brings more money to them. That's their psychology. So. In this world right now, with bombarding all, like some people will go online, put up a Zaif Hadith. If I'm like an illiterate Muslim, I don't have knowledge to the books that much. So how will we keep on track nowadays so we will not deviate to any false things or go into uh, any different side, which is not basically the straightforward that Allah set up for us? You understand? Yeah. Dr. Imran, why don't you, inshallah, start with your medicine of the heart why why where the doubts come from doctor where, where, why do we get these doubts why why do we sway so easily when we hear these things or, or see these things 
Alhamdulillah. This is actually a really big question. I just brother Ahmed for that because um it's not it's not a straightforward thing. Um mm. and there's a lot of um things to unpack in this. Because we're talking about um ideas, we're talking about um what influences human beings, uh what influences the Muslims, the Muslim youth. Uh, and this is multifaceted, so there's not one specific thing. So what I'm going to do is just touch on a few things. Um, and there's so many of them that I'm going to miss a few. So definitely you'll think of others. But I just want to give you an overall picture. So the, the well, for you, in your experience, what age do people start to express their doubts? So, you know, you said there's an ex-Muslim movement, particularly in India, Pakistan. We're seeing them very vocal. Uh-huh. They're very well supported, particularly by the Hindu uh, far right and also by atheists from uh, across the world and they look up to these people for support usually financial aid as well um, uh-huh. but what age do people start to engage and have these issues uh, as, as per my knowledge and uh, like I, I have I've been a student of the psychology as well around when you when you get into the teens and when teen peaks so uh, it's around after 17 to 20 seconds in between that people go this and that way Absolutely. So from your psychology background, you know that there is a tendency for, uh, this is a point in which the the teenager is trying to establish their place, which is slightly separate from their parents, okay. mm-hmm. so that their own identity is coming identity. to the fore. Absolutely. So you know this from your psychology background. Anyway, so the, now this is when it, this is when things tend to get expressed around this sort of teenagehood time and, and forward. Now, there's a lot of things before this that come, but I'm going to just sort of... Uh, try to unpack it. I know this is a, like I said, this is a huge topic and we're just going to touch on the surfaces. So one of the things is that when we're, we need to, and, and I'm talking to myself and not, not criticizing, I'm just giving it, we need to establish in ourselves those routines that we want to, and those beliefs and the foundations for those beliefs that we have uh, in ourselves and we must manifest them. So we should be practicing and becoming from a practicing household and we should, and it should be seen that this is a Muslim household. And that means that when, they, when you come into that household, there's love and there's compassion and there's, uh, you know, communal salah and communal du'a and, you know, uh, communal learning of the deen. And the children then that come into this environment, when they're born into that, they then will absorb this. So to a large extent, um, they will accept to a certain age. And then when they get to about eight, nine, they start asking their questions. And this is when you sort of would go into this and give them the founder why you believe what you believe, um, why we believe in God, why we believe in the Prophet peace upon him, why we believe in the Quran, and you establish this for them. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm saying this is what I'm saying, and I'm saying this because some of these, these are the cogs that build the individual, and some of these that become they start becoming missing. Either we're not uh, praying ourselves, and we're telling our kids to pray, and they're looking at us thinking, why is this person saying that to me? Or we haven't established the the, the home is in a place where that is not inviting and there's no compassion, there's no love in it. It's actually a fearful place to be. You're just going to be in your room on your own. You'd rather than be downstairs because your dad's going to have a go at you, or your mum's going to have a go at you, or your grandmother's going to. There's something about the house isn't wholesome, uh, and this sort of starts to affect the growing individual. You know that child that's developing their personality, their identity, and then uh, the, our masajids are the places where we teach the children. These are not inviting places where we're. Uh, interacting. I mean, I had that experience where the, the, it was a horror, a horror. I just saw children being beaten up all the time. That's what I saw. 
and it turned me completely away from the religion. I was, I was completely uh, you know, avoiding the masjid, you know. Um, so our institutions where we teach the children have to instill in them the ethos of Islam and they have respect for their teachers and the teachers have respect for their students, you know, and they ha there's, there's an, an environment of fun and learning and loving where they understand that, you know, this is beautiful religion and, you know, we're raising money for charity. And if you go to the masajid now where I'm from, you know, the kids are doing uh, charity runs. They have like uh, play areas where and they every three or three minutes they make a... You know, they have a break and they, they, their teachers are like their friends. They're talking to them in a very relaxed way and they're learning Quran and they're learning Sira and they're learning, you know, Arabic. And this is all part of that. The other part of it is um, the lot of a lot of the education now in the world is secular and it's imported from the West. So if you go to the elite schools around the world, these are all uh, international schools where you get American teachers or you get British teachers who teach their subjects from a secular mindset and they pass mm -hmm. on these concepts to that and we have in our minds because of our colonial history we have an epistemic bias towards western ideas so we wait we value them and we give them weight more than they should be um, and we think that the success of the west is because of their ideas and not just simple things such as you know uh, industrialization and you know exploitation of the world and etc which is which are all probably more co significant contributing factors now when we say that um when we say that uh we have this ep epistemic bias then when they teach us things that um like science which has a naturalistic background we start to regard this as a, as a conflict with religion because we because we don't realize we don't, or we don't understand that actually there is uh, the, the knowledge is multifaceted and there's many different aspects of knowledge that we have to uh, internalize. So one of Correct. the things that I, do, I try to do is you sit with the, the children and you talk to them and you say that all knowledge is from Allah. So true, uh, true science in inverted commas and uh, knowledge from uh, the, the the prophets and from the Quran should there should be no issue between them. If there is, then there's a problem with likely the science because the science needs to catch up or the science needs to to research mm -hmm. more. So there's all of these factors, and then now on top of these all of these things that can go wrong, these 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 uh, cogs that can go wrong, we are now um, being molded by YouTube, by TikTok, by Twitter, by Snapchat, by all of these social media right. apps, which compete mm -hmm. for our attention. I mean, the reason they're free is because we're being sold. Our our attention is being sold to the advertisers for these companies to make their millions, and they're designed their apps to make it so that we don't we don't stop doing this with our finger. Every time we do that, we get a hit, and they design them specifically for this notification. The phone pings, and we are on the phone. Mm -hmm. Try to put your phone and walk into another room; you'll have palpitations. <laughs> you know, literally, where yeah, you're so, so the problem is this: is that, and what the idea of this is that this takes away from us because it shortens our attention span. It, it takes upon away from us the ability to do deep reflective thinking and to dabur and to get to know ourselves to connect as human beings with each other. This is it's ironically called social media, but it should be called anti-social media because really we don't, we're not, we can be sitting at the same table with our relatives and our family members and our parents and our children and not be talking to them. Correct. You know, even my kids have said to me, you know, dad, you need to get off your phone. We're sitting. I was like, sorry guys, I'll put my phone down because it's, it's, it has this thing effect on you. 
And because we have this lack of attention and we lack of deep knowledge and reading and learning, uh, when someone then comes along and gives us, um, uh, someone who's become impressed with the Western thought and science or scientism usually, um, and they've decided that Islam doesn't fit into whatever they think is their truth, then they come and they challenge. And then we don't have, we haven't had the basis. We don't haven't built the foundations that will allow us to challenge this. And this is why we fall prey to it a lot. Now, there are so many other things to mention, but I've just given an over, an overarching thing that's affected. So the, the, the youth today are under a type of bombardment in terms of uh, ideas, uh, secularism, LGBTQ, feminism, all of these things that are bombarded at them from a Western perspective. Mm-hmm. Scientism, this, an atheism which, is, which wears the mantle of science but actually has nothing to do with science. Um, plus the the white Western authoritarian figure who, when that, whatever they say is the truth, embedded in our you know uh, co- in our collective memories and our subconscious, all of these things lead us to be less sure about ourselves and less likely to clearly challenge ideas that are wrong. Which is why there's lots of work being done by brothers like Sapiens and by Aira and. Uh, Iman Union in Pakistan and uh, Youth Club in Pakistan, where they are challenging these things that come. And inshallah, I'm quite hopeful, and I think that the youth now are also waking up to try and uh, establish their foundations and challenge these things. And it usually starts at uni. So for me, one of the biggest turnaround points was entering university, because then there's a challenge, of, there's a clash of ideas, and you start to. The first question for me is, okay, wh- who am I? Where am I standing before I can argue with somebody else? And that led me to try and correct myself so i've not only been in that journey but i've been a victim of that same process which is why now i sit back now as an older man i can sit back and think actually you know what i know the reasons and where things went wrong and so i can and i can still see it happening but even worse with you know i never had when i was growing up we never had mobile phones you know and now it's like you know so there's lots of things there brother Uh, so i know i've spoken a lot but um Doctor, I, I just oh, have don't say older man. You're not old, mashallah. You're still a young man. <laughs> I just have one question. Let's. I, I understand there are a lot of uh, things that need to be touched. So, if let's like for example, I work in IT field. My background uh, with that as well. So, I work in that field. So, let's say I have twenty four seven availability of YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, and all that. And even I have to deal with YouTube sometimes as well. So, let's. How will and. A Muslim who wants to be on the right track. I don't want to divert to the right thing. I don't want to go to the left. I want to keep it on the track. So uh, how will we consume the information that's going to help us? So that's kind of, it gets difficult sometimes because I, I'm a practically seen it. For me, sometimes it gets difficult because when you see one side this, one side that. So uh, so far, I came to the conclusion it's better to read more and watch less. Yeah, so the the algorithm is the algorithms in these social media. I mean, really, we you have to have a good knowledge base. So you're absolutely right. We have to have a good knowledge base in terms of our Islamic grounding and knowledge of Islam, um, and we, we should be practicing. And also, we need to have good knowledge of the current affairs around the world, and uh, also good knowledge of uh, the technology because we because technology is just a tool. There's lots of good that has come from social media as well. You know, family members reuniting over Facebook who've never spoken to each other for for decades. All these positive things have come about as well. Um, but uh, there's a, there's another side of it. So it's a tool. The tool itself is 
um, something that we need to use. The problem is that we're being used by the tool. We've, we've reversed the roles. Reversed, yeah. So what we need to do is you is to have in our minds a, a system where we uh, so we schedule our time, we allocate time for research or reading specifically that we want to do, and we go and do that for that time, and not make it so that uh, we're at the beck and call of any question that comes up. Because now when you're talking to somebody, you can just type something into your phone and you get the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a superficial answer. It's not the same as uh, having read something significant about it and thought about it and discussed about it. So we have to sort of make time for it. And, and I, you know, I, I'm a, maybe I'm old school. I like books. I like the feel of the paper. I like to read. If I, if there's something I don't know, I will go and I'll make, if someone mentions something and I say, okay, that's a good book, I'll get it. And then I'll read it to try and understand things. So it's really about you being in control of where your attention is and what you're searching for and what information you're getting rather than, uh, you know, uh, be pulled and pushed by whatever is happening uh, happening either in your interactions all the time so you can give you can give your dawa you can you'll come across people who have and maybe they have doubts or maybe there are non-muslim asking questions about islam L learn and read be open be sincere and also be open to learning but but don't let the technology overtake you be the one in control and that's really hard because the the algorithms they're designed to make make us addicted to the clicking and the scrolling and the you know and really we have to we have to be aware of that half of the battle is being aware of it because these are some some of these techniques in these uh, the way they're designed some of the techniques employed is to make not is to trigger you without your without realizing you're being triggered mm -hmm. um, you know you you speak something about you know a pair of trainers. And the next day, all of your adverts that you're going to come across on your social media are going to be trainer-related. And it's because it's naive to think that the phone is not constantly monitoring all of your inputs and the voices and the micro. It's, it's, it's just standard to assume that it is. Um, so we have to be much more... Um, so this has really now gone into a different field. But really, we have to uh, establish ourselves firmly in our dean, make sure our connections with each family, living real people, family members and friends is strong and that we're, we're practicing and we have wholesome institutions and then make time to learn what we need to learn according to our own needs uh, directed by us rather than anything else. Uh, I know that was another long very Brother Ahmad, just very, very quickly, what was the first word that was revealed in the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Ikra. Read. And then it says, in the name of your Lord who created, and it says, created man from a clot, yes? Uh, from an alaqa. Now, the thing is, the first word is read. It's telling human beings, you know, gain knowledge, read. And it's amazing. It's the first word that was revealed, read. Yes? Correct. And, and, and so the thing here is that, um, you know, if you build your house on sand... We all know what happens to houses that are built on sand without a foundation, right? Correct. The sea comes in, the doubt and comes in, taking it out. <laughs> and the whole building goes with it, right? With it, yeah. And Imran's mashallah explanation beautifully, all the facets of, of those pillars of foundation, as a family, we need to put those pillars in. And as a young man, as a young woman, you need to, you know, find the, discover those pillars. Do those pillars exist? Quite, there's no problem about questioning. But at mm -hmm. least give it time and energy 
and some importance, of course, I would say the most importance of any subject that you would ever learn and verify for yourself, but read and have knowledge. And the ulama basically say that ilm, knowledge of Allah, knowledge of the Prophet is the major way to gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because from that knowledge stems everything else, you see. Your iman becomes strong, your practices become strong. You know, in Urdu we have a saying, adat becomes ibadat, right? Mm -hmm. When you're young, adat is a a habit. And habits form the actual ibadah, which is the worship later on. So initially, you know, you're young, you do your parents say you pray, you pray. Your parents say you fast, you fast. Okay. Well, you're very, very young, you know. But it's important that we gain knowledge, that we gain ilm, and that we ensure, especially as parents, if we are able to, that we have a loving, like Imran said, a loving, caring. You know, you meet parents who've never hugged their children. You know, yeah. the Prophet Wasallam said. <laughs> That we have to hug our children when I think was it a Sahaba who said I don't hug and the Prophet said that the, the this um this religion what was the exact words I don't want to misquote I'm paraphrasing but uh, this this religion is full of mercy and you know in other words hug hug your children love your children and so the thing is Alhamdulillah we have all of these lessons in Islam but often because we don't have the knowledge we don't practice those lessons we don't use those very important lessons. Uh, which then later become those very firm pillars for that building. And so when the waves of doubts come, when the challenges come, the building is still standing because you've, mashallah, you're firm in what you believe through knowledge, through reading, through investigation, through questioning, through contemplating, okay? And giving some time, spend some time for effectively what is an eternal life hereafter, okay? Invest some time because, you know, as I said last time in the last stream, you know, when we're lying in our graves, how much will we long that we did another sijda, another prostration, or we just did some more dhikr, or we read some more Quran, or we gave some more sadaqah. So before that time comes, let's sort of invigorate ourselves, inshallah, and just spend a little bit more time, a little bit more energy. Planning, a Muslim plans, we should plan. And I'm very ter- bad at planning. My, my wife hears the stream, she's going to start laughing, right? But this is, a, this is a reminder to myself as well. You know, we need to plan our day. When, where am I going to be to do my salah? When do I read Quran? What time am I going to specify that I read a little bit of Quran a day, even if it's just a few um, pages? When am I going to do that? Am I going to do the azgarat? You know, I mean, simple things, brother. If we keep doing these things, we're constantly immersing ourselves, uh, immersing ourselves, uh, you know, in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're learning about it. We're increasing our ilm. Inshallah ta'ala, the doubts will just bounce off you because all of your good deeds and all of your practices, inshallah, will act as a shield and they will protect you. The problem today is, brother, that most of us uh, are not active in our religion and we are very cultural in terms of our practices, just doing things mm-hmm. because we were just taught to do them. Uh, and then there's no shield protecting us and the foundation is just sand. And then the problem has happened. And a lot of the new Muslims, but I'll be very honest with you, most new Muslims that I have spoken to, they regurgitate arguments that atheists are making. 
about particular hadith or about particular ayahs of the Quran, misinterpreting them, mistranslating them, misrepresenting them. And I'm often left there scratching my head. And I think what's happened is that they've left Islam and then they've tried to look for reasons as to why they can justify their position. You mean most ex-Muslims? Yeah, sorry, most ex-Muslims. I beg your pardon. Did I just say Muslims? I beg your pardon. You said uh, most ex-Muslims ex I've met. Very, very, very few of them, a very small minority of them I've met. And I thought, actually, they have a little bit of knowledge of Islam. But the absolute vast majority of them are very ignorant about Islam. They've obviously constructed some reasons why they've left, for whatever reason that might be. And then they look for arguments afterwards to somehow justify their, their decisions. Um, and, and that's the reality, brother. So may Allah, you know, uh, hopefully inspire us to, as I say, put those the strong foundations in, inshallah. And mashallah, Imran gave a very beautiful a very detailed yeah. of all the different components that are necessary and everything mm -hmm. works you know islam is a beautiful jewel it's not just one facet one facet on a jewel doesn't sparkle doesn't shine when you put all of the different facets in it becomes that beautiful, beautiful glaring thing. sparkling jewel and islam mm -hmm. is not about just doing one thing it's mashallah doing a whole series of things and then inshallah your your soul your your actions yourself will shine through inshallah ta'ala um, Imran, you put something to go on the screen, is that right? I was just going to give a recommendation for a, a, an author, actually, but uh, I've got a few of his books, but um, just a book that related specifically. So, you know, these books are, these authors are very good, um, but I want to give you a caveat. So I, I've probably read every self-development, self-help book that you can think of. But when I read them, one of the things that I notice in them is a lot of this information they provide is already present in our surah, in our hadith, from the Prophet, peace be upon him. So whether it's uh, the miracle morning, you wake up at whatever time and plan your day, your, Prophet, peace be upon him, said that the barakah is in the rising in the morning. I mean, this is very, a lot of it harks back to this. Um, and part of the, the Islamic uh, tarbiyah, the self, uh, you know, the, the the teaching and the tazkiyah, the, the purifying of yourself is to is to rise early, focus your mind on the Creator and your purpose, and then you plan your day. And you know, and the, a lot of these things they talk about the perfect morning. And so this, a lot of it, if you read them and you understand, you know, something about the religion, you come to this. But this is a book that I just wanted to recommend. It's called um, There's a Professor Cal Newport. He's actually a he's a professor of computer science. Who doesn't use digital? He doesn't really use digital uh, uh, social media, and he's written many books. And one of those, there's probably two books that I'd recommend from him that are really useful. One is this digital minimalism, and it's, mm -hmm. it teaches you how to use your social media for a tool that will benefit you and not distract you. So this is, a, you know, uh, I'd recommend uh, this is something I read. It's very useful. Another book that he wrote was uh, this book called Deep Work, and this is a really about one of the things that we've lost in our um, society at the moment is because of our, you know, shorts and, the, you know, videos and things that just, just generally applying your attention is to actually use your ad attention for extended periods of time, focused work. And so he teaches you uh, about how to bring about a routine where you can 
uh, do focused work because that's the work that really, really will ultimately benefit you if you've done some very uh, deep research. So, brother, people, someone like and I, and I don't want to praise anyone uh, too much, but brother Ijaz, mashallah, one of the reasons he's such a treasure trove of information and very effective in his dawah is because the the level of research that he's got into is yeah. un, unprecedented amongst you know many many Muslims. So, this is where the benefit comes from. So. Uh, I, I recommend those two books. Uh, I think because they specifically deal with some of the aspects, inshallah. So, uh, give us your feedback. And uh, lovely may question, Allah. brother. It was lovely talking to you because you that was may a, Allah bless a you all. It was it was pleasure. And also, just a quick reminder. Um, remember, brother Ijaz, and uh, you know, and, and that Allah inshallah gives him shifa. And also his father, Allah gives him shifa. He's not well. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. So, so just please remember them in your dua. Uh, he, he's, he really is. I mean, uh, you know, going on Qatar, Qatar with him, spending a few days with him there, mashallah. We had a lovely time. He's a lovely character. He's a wonderful person. Uh, I, I have wonderful heard of May Allah bless him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, please remember him, him in your dua as well. Inshallah. Jazakallah for coming on. Okay, so we've got um, uh, one brother with his camera on. Guys, I did say if you have your camera on, you're more likely to get on quickly. Uh, it just helps us to verify things. Uh, no nickname. Can you just give me a quick wave before you go off? They're, they're lovely. We can get you on next. And uh, Ali Khair, we will get you on very quickly as well. Don't worry. Uh, no nickname. What's your? Can we call you some different name other than no nickname? Call me Malik. Malik? Okay, yes. Malik. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, brother. How are you doing? You all right? Alhamdulillah. So I just have a question is how many minor signs are left and is Imam al-Mahdi a Shia concept or a Sunni concept? Oh, subhanAllah, brother. Uh, you know, some people are preoccupied with these questions. And when the Prophet ﷺ was asked about the last day, you know, he says something very interesting. Everything he said was interesting, of course. He said, and what have you prepared for the last day, what have you prepared for Yom Al Qiyamah? In other words, you know, I'm not saying your question is irrelevant, brother. So please don't uh, take take this as a criticism. No, no, please. But generally, I'm just saying, you know, there are people who watch video after video. They talk about this thing endlessly, and sometimes that you know we we lose our focus in terms of what we should be prioritizing. Uh, in fact, I, I, I would say, mo you know, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, "Do not wish you were here when you're here when Dajjal appears." It's better that you're not here because the fitna, the facade, the problems, the the trial, the tribulation, the test will be so grave, so so severe that many people will lose their iman. So don't pray, don't pray for that day that you you're there for that day. Um, in terms of actual signs, brother, we know that the Prophet ﷺ gave many signs. Um, it, I mean, there is one thing that the Prophet ﷺ said is that the the lips of the angel are already on the um, uh, the horn, already on the horn. In other words, it's imminent. It's very imminent. It doesn't mean to say it's going to be one year or a thousand years, but in terms of history, it just tells us that um, it's very close. And the Prophet ﷺ said that his appearance of uh, coming into the world means that between him and Yawm al-Qayyamah is like this. It basically, again, signifying that he's the last prophet and it's very close, basically, that, you know, the end of days are very close. Now, in terms of specifics, brother, um, I'm not qualified to actually talk about that. Dr. Imran may have some suggestions or whatever. Um, but 
personally, I think we need to be a little bit careful, I think, when it comes to some of these interpretations that some people come up with. Um, but Dr. Imran, please do uh, elaborate. If you the, the, the trumpet, sorry. He has his lips on the trumpet. That's the actual uh, wording. Um, Dr. Imran, sorry. Uh, the only thing I would say is um, there are many hadith about the, the, the Mahdi, and uh, it's clear. And it's not a specifically uh, Shia concept. It's a that we, the Sunnis we also believe in this from the Hadith. There are many, many of them. Um, you just have to look up uh, Hadith uh, about the Mahdi, and they will they will come up. So you can look for them for yourself. Um, is that okay, brother? Anything, any anything else that you wanted to? No, that was perfect, actually. So so there's no issue. So we accept. You know, lots of the minor signs have been fulfilled, and there's made many that. Um, you know, different people have given different number of them. So, um, but yeah, we know that that time is close and it's coming. You know, may Allah protect us. And then uh, the hadith about the Mendi are prominent throughout the the Sunni uh, hadith collections. Uh, you can look into them. So it's not specifically something that the Shia only believe. And, and, and one interesting thing, I mean, I just say is that you know the 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 hadith, in fact, of the Prophet ﷺ about the last day and some of the signs are quite remarkable, really, because many of the signs that were given are counterintuitive. What you would expect to happen actually didn't happen because the Hadith says something very different. It says that the exact opposite to what would be normally intuitive at that time and from people's understanding. And again, it's an argument for Islam, and it just shows how could the Prophet ﷺ make such predictions when it was sort of, um, as I say, counterintuitive, it, you, you would expect the the other thing to happen or the opposite to happen, uh, or things that have recently been discovered that hadn't been discovered, and so there's there's so many things there, mashallah. But I think specifics. Um, if I'm honest, brother, I would say concentrate on the imminence of our death, which is imminent. I have a friend of mine, close friend of mine, I've known for the 35 years. He's 58 years old. Uh, you know, he's just a few years older than me. And he's he suffered a very, very severe heart attack. He's in intensive care. And they're going to try to bring him back into consciousness tomorrow because they've they've knocked him out. Doctor will obviously know uh, for two or three days they've put him under heavy, heavy sedation because they want to make sure that the, the uh, bypass, the things that they've done, uh, are functioning properly. And this is brothers, and this is a person that I know who goes to the gym regularly. He's slim, he's active, incredibly strong. When he hugs me, he nearly squeezes the life out of me. Subhanallah, you know. Um, and yet, look, life is very, very, uh, you know, very delicate, and we don't know how close our own demise is. Let us, inshallah, concentrate more on that uh, and plan more for that then perhaps indulging too much into the... I'm not saying that you are, brother, so please don't take it as a criticism. But as a general rule, I've met some brothers and sisters who really, they read books and they read, watch videos and they spend hours and hours and hours on this thing. Uh, and I and I think that, you know, again, this may be a trick of shaitan to take you away from that which is more important uh, in terms of your obligations when it comes to practicing your religion. So I, I hope that helps you, brother. Yes, it did actually. Alhamdulillah. It, wasn't, it wasn't just a big issue, just like I wanted to come up with actually a question. Alhamdulillah. No, no, not a problem. And that's why I did emphasize that this is not specific to you because, of course, I don't know you, brother. So uh, it, it def it's just a general uh, comment I'm making there. But just no, for, for your question. Assalamu alaikum, brother.
Okay. Uh, Adam, brother, we're going to get you on next. Just give me a quick wave if you don't mind. Quick wave. Adam, wave. Thank you. And just give me a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Lovely. We're going to get you on next, brother. Welcome to the stream, Adam. Assalamualaikum. So I have a question about something that I've heard multiple different like discuss discussions about, but for some reason I just have never found an answer that like satisfies me. Um, it's about Aisha and the whole age debate. So I was just wondering, um, can you guys give me like a succinct like explanation for it that uh, that you think would like like dispel any doubts about it? Because um, the whole like six years old versus 16 years old when she was married and all that stuff, um, just never really like, I've never found a satisfying answer for it. Uh, okay, so I mean, look, brother. The thing is, the majority opinion is that she was betrothed betrothed at uh, at um, uh, six and consummated the Prophet consummated the marriage at nine years old. Yes. Now, last stream, a brother asked the same question, and we answered that question. And I, I think the brother was satisfied with the answer. Sapiens Institute um, and um, Muhammad Hijab has done a stream recently, of probably a few weeks back. Uh, about the same issue and he's and he's basically elaborated upon that issue in some detail what are his what are his major arguments which is what i used last time uh, was that is it consequentially wrong or is it categorically wrong to to consummate a marriage with a 9 year old is it i think i think the the question adam if i'm if i'm i think cuz we might not be answering the question the, the question you're asking is which is authentic, nine or sixteen? Is that the question you're asking? You don't have an issue with the, with either of them, or you do? That's a part of it. It's not really an issue. It's just um, like if someone, like for example, if someone comes up to me uh, that I know and isn't Muslim and asks me about that issue, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving them a satisfactory answer. And I feel like part of that is because I'm personally haven't heard a satisfactory answer. Um, so it's, it's kind of both. Like I think the if, if the satisfactory one was to... true, it would be easier to to so. But yeah. Okay, so I think in, in that conversation that you when you're having the dawah. Sorry, Abbas, I've uh, I've just changed. Actually, the, uh, no, you're right. I think I, I clearly mis uh, uh, understood the question, and I think you've got it. You've clarified that I think pro properly for me as well. So, Alhamdulillah. So uh, the, the the when you're when you're speaking to somebody uh, and you're giving dawah to them and they raise this, um, it it wouldn't really matter. And I'm just trying to which of those is correct. I mean, I'm I'm just giving you a theoretical from their perspective, because the age of nine is in Bukhari. Yeah, okay. from Aisha, I don't know myself. So you're going to throw out Bukhari? They're going to say to you, "What you're throwing out Bukhari? If you got that wrong, what else did you get wrong? You understand?" Mm -hmm. um, so there's a difference between uh, there's and there are strong authentic hadith from Aisha and herself. And then there are other circumstantial evidences that people bring to bring doubt upon this. Now, it's quite a complicated matter, uh, I will, and I will give you some reference. So Brother Adnan Rashid did a really, really good, I think almost two-hour lecture on the sources, and he went through them and did a historical analysis. And I'll post, I think an hour and a half, I'll post that link for you in, in, a, okay. in a few moments. Um, so that you can, and I, I'll post it in the general chat so everyone can have a look at this. He does a historical analysis of the the hadith and the, the the argument against and i know that some people still today they come up with different things but if i was a if i put myself in the devil's advocate place and i was a non-muslim uh, and i was having this discussion with you 
I wouldn't care if you believe that Aisha Dhanan was 16. I'd say, but it's in Bukhari. Bukhari we are most authentic Hadith collection. Are you saying that this Bukhari is wrong? And then you're going to be, even then you're going to be in an issue where you have to, you have to have now some sort of uh, way of, because if you start to cast doubt upon really well-authenticated sources, then this this is a slippery slope that then leads to everything being disregarded. Do you understand? Yeah. So the question is, so this is why I asked the question, uh, and this is what Brother Abbas was, was, was answering this question, but actually we need to understand where your perspective is. You said you were, you were uncomfortable answer. What is the issue? For, is there an issue for, this is the one, exactly, Jazakallah khair, uh, Brother Anis, for putting this up. This okay, is the, I'll, I'll the lecture, uh, Historical analysis by Adnan Rashid. Uh, he gave it a few years ago, but it's... Uh, just really, really profound, deep, in-depth look at sort of the, the issue. Okay. Now, and I know there's some some other you know uh, people they've disagreed and they've put their you know they've put video, videos up to explain their positioning. But uh, but ultimately, for me, when I think about it from my perspective, it wouldn't matter to if my personal belief on this. Uh, if what would what what the devil, what the person would do who was coming to argue with you would say, look, it doesn't matter what you say. Your sources say this. And the only option you'd be left is to throw out the. Uh, there we go. Another brother, brother Abdullah, has put a, a brother Asadullah Ali has wrote about this, which is really useful. That maybe I don't know where that is from, but that, if you have a source for that, brother Abdullah, that would be great. Um, so I think Doctor yeah. Jonathan Brown as well wrote. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, everyone has. It's a it's a very commonly asked question. So, but there's mm -hmm. lots of information on this. So, but we're trying to give you academic sources as opposed to just sort of general mm -hmm. information, but. The question I wanted to ask you was, what, for you, what is the d uncomfortableness um, in, well, in, in answering this? What are you uncomfortable about? I guess it's because I'm personally not comfortable with the answers that I've heard. I, I haven't heard an answer that has satisfied me as well. Just because, um, like, I know that uh, there's, like, obviously they didn't consummate the marriage before she hit puberty. Um, so I, I know that at nine she was at least uh, hit puberty, but then I'm I'm not really sure. I haven't heard anything that talks about whether she hit puberty at six years old, and if she didn't, then he probably married her before that. So that part, the the lack of knowledge about that part, I guess, um, makes me so. That, so I'm just trying to because I want what I'm trying to do is to work out where the uncomfortableness is, mm -hmm. so that we can sort of address that because then that will allow you to answer the question. So one is. The 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 marriage at at, at six. So this is the um, let's say betrothal, because mm -hmm. then there was the the. So, so that's one thing. Was that the, is that what the uncomfortableness is, or the fact that after she after whatever was deemed to be adulthood at that stage was uh, had been achieved, i.e. puberty, whatever that will come up to the criteria, but that was there, and then it was consummated at, at nine. Is that a, is that the issue? What is the I issue? I think it's mostly the six years old part. Because okay. I, I know that they wouldn't have uh, consummated the marriage if she wasn't of age. Yeah, um, so the six years old part is the main yeah. point that I'm lacking information. I think. So in so so you let me try and phrase this. So in in where are you from, brother? Originally, your families or what's your background? Uh, the Middle Just East. Middle East. Okay. So I'm I'm from a part of the world where it, it's not unknown for if there are two neighbors who live near each other, next to each other, and you know for many years they've known each other. That when they have children, what, what, uh, someone has a boy, another one has a girl, and what they do is they betroth them at birth. Okay. These two will marry when they're older. We'll betroth them, and they just promise. They promise that, and the betrothal is a promise that these two will marry when they're older. And then when they get older, they decide. They, obviously, they will decide if they accept this. But, but the betrothal is done. 
so this is uh, and even now if you went to sort of the the roma communities in around the world and, and you know apart I'm, I'm talking about european roma communities th- this is a common thing where they will betroth someone off uh, at you know an early age but that doesn't mean that the marriage is consummated etc that happens later so this idea of giving someone's hand to somebody at an early age is, is not a i don't for me that's not an issue it's sort of been done in history european history and um even even um a non-european history as well so it's not a i don't for me i don't see the issue with that if someone says oh because what she's not being asked for at that stage is consent because she's too young to, she's a child right yeah. that would happen at the point of um that would be that would happen so th- the thing to understand about the the nikah contract if you like is it's actually an agreement between the groom and the father this is okay. for un- so people I think that I think I see where my lack of uh, understanding was because I was under the impression that they were married at six and then at nine uh, is where, like I was under the impression that they like lived together at six, but I guess. I, no, I no, not at all. So what happened was, and, and I should have, she, she herself explains it. She says that um, when she came of age, so when she, when she became um, mature physically and mentally, her, uh, her father went to the prophet peace upon him. And said, "Why do you not come and take your wife?" So, okay. so this is the parents now saying, "Look, you know, come on. This is now, you know, the time has come now." And this, and this is really interesting because it takes away all this idea that uh, uh, this takes away the idea that somehow this was, uh, you know, uh, you know, like you were describing that she went with the prophet. No, not at all. You stay. You, you can be. You can be given to someone. Your your hands given in marriage, and then. When you come of age, you would then carry out all the functions of that marriage, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think that clarifies a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, so that's not a, and then then there's the issue of the young marriage itself, and that's a different whole another different explanation. But I'm sure, I mean, that's I think that's more much more straightforward. That's not a. Yeah, a, that part makes sense to me. Yeah. So if you look at, so you've seen some of the references. We'll post this up as well. The, the uh, uh, brother Adnan's. Uh, excellent lecture that he gave about the sources themselves so you can that will help you look at the the discussions that are had around this there are other people we know like uh, sheikh uthman on uh, one message foundation who thinks that this is the the older age applies and they, they give reasoning that's fine but what i'm saying is that when it comes down to it if i was to speak say if i was a dead plain devil advocate with sheikh uthman i would say well this is in bukhari are you throwing bukhari out and then he then he would have to have a, a way of sort of describing. Yeah, I think to be fair, to, to be fair to Sheikh yeah. Uthman, I mean, what, what what he does say is that he says, look, at that time, uh, people actually didn't know when they were born, and um, in fact, even in Pakistan and in India, I, I have uh, my sister-in-law's mother basically has a guess of her age. So yeah, talking, yeah, I've come across this. Yeah, that was so the we, point I was making. I wasn't making that. You're right. You're right. People would guess like this. Yeah. But yeah, I understand. So I was born when the when the flood happened. That's in, right. Yeah. And it's an approximation. So his argument is that it's an approximation, and she said that she was nine. Now that's his opinion, and that's fine. And we we don't. Uh, yeah. No. No. I'm not saying that. The reason yeah, I'm course. saying is because somebody posted in the chat. No. No. I understand. Yeah, I understand. I'm just I'm just clarifying in in terms of you know his opinion, but as as Imran said, and I think to be perfect. Honest, um, the majority opinion uh, is as as Imran has suggested. You know, in Bukhari, it says she says she was nine, and and actually, in reality, that the issue here is this, and I think we need to all we need to all perhaps who have some concerns, we need to just think about this. 
age is irrelevant in Islam. It's maturity, physically, mentally. Okay. Um, and um, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said cultural sensibilities. And all of these circumstances together make up the suitable age at that time in that community. And that is why even in the modern world today, you go to France, you go to, uh, you know, you go to Scotland, for example, or you go to England, there's a different age of marriage. So even within a secular system after thousands of years of one would argue, you know, modernizing and science and technology and psychology and sociology and all of the other things that people, uh, you know, are so proud of, there's no consistent uh, one age that meets everybody's criteria. Some have it at 14. Some have it at, uh, you know, in America, there are certain states, I believe, that through parent consent, you can marry at 12 and 13. I don't know whether the laws change e now. Even younger, Iowa. Iowa, even younger. E even, even younger, yeah. Yeah. So the, now the issue now is this, okay? So we need to be much more confident in in our in our knowledge and our, in our understanding of this subject. I think Brother Hijab, uh, Muhammad Hijab, did a very good explanation of it. I like the video. Um, if you have a chance, Sapiens Institute, Dr. Jonathan Brown, Adnan Rashid. Mashallah, there's a lot of good work out there. And I'm sure there's lots and lots of other works out there as well. Um, yeah, if you have a, a, an issue or concern, inshallah, as I say, the first word in the Quran, read. <laughs> so just read up a little bit about that, inshallah. But Brother Adam, I hope that all helps you, inshallah. Yeah, I think um, I just wasn't looking for the right resources, but I think you guys gave me a lot of good links and good information. Okay, brother Ali Khair, we're going to get you on next, inshallah. Yes, he's happy. He's coming on. You can leave your camera on or you can switch it off, whatever you're comfortable with. Brother Ali, yeah. welcome to the stream. Assalamualaikum, brothers. How are you doing? I Actually, I have some questions, but forget about my questions. I've been trying to get my friend uh, Jason on here for the longest and he actually just downloaded the app and I, I sent him the link so if you can add him um I, i'm more concerned for him he's he's okay. a brother I grew up with um i don't know if you can see him in the chat no, he, he's not he's not on yet but if he comes on we'll get him on inshallah straight away don't worry does he want to take his shahada brother ali khair we seem to have lost your uh, your video oh I, I don't know can you still hear us yeah i'm he used to be Muslim, and so he just completely just became an atheist. And um, so, you know, he, he actually changed his name. So okay. I don't want to say what his original name was because, you know. I'll, I'll, you know Not yeah. a problem. So um, I have his email. Do you want me to send it in the chat so you can add him? Because he said he's waiting. Yeah, no. So, so he, so so he so has the, to come on to the YouTube. So yeah, he has to link. He has to just click, click on the link, link to come in. It's, it's not something we add. It's I, not added I, I like that. Yeah, how, how did you get in? You, you you went to YouTube and you clicked on the link and then we added yes. you, right? Yeah. That's what he's going to yes. do, the same. That's, that's what he's going to do, inshallah. All right, let me call him one second because literally I sent him the link. He said he's waiting. So he downloaded the app. Do is, yeah, what you can do is, um, so the app he needs to have is YouTube. Yeah, because as long as... How do I get it? Okay, hold on. He's saying how we get it. You go on YouTube. Just go on YouTube. So find, I'm on YouTube Studios, the YT Okay, I'll, uh, uh, brother Ali Khair, you know, brother Ali Khair, yeah, So, rather than yeah. us help you 
micromanage your friend through the process of getting in. I'm going to give you the process mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Help him. As, okay. Whatever his name is, as soon as it comes up, James, we'll bring him in, okay? Mm -hmm. so, so, okay, so what's your name what on you YouTube? To do, no, no, Brother to... Ali, Brother Ali, you know the link that you use to access this show? Yes. Just give him that link, tell him to put it into the browser, and as soon as he clicks that, you know, enter, it, he'll come into the, uh, it will immediately come into the, uh, uh, into the okay. backstage. Okay? Okay, so 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 we let you get on with that, inshallah, Dala, whilst, um, uh, and if he comes on, we'll get him on. Um, yes. Please don't go anywhere. Hold on one second. I've been trying to get no, him no, for the longest. Well, no problem. While Hold you're on. doing that, I'll just remind the brothers uh, and sisters who are in the backstage. Sorry, Imran, you're, you're muted. I'm uh, saying that I'm saying yeah. that until he arrives, let's have the next question. Of course, of course. No, that's what I that's what I was going to do. Um, um, so if if any of you want to come in, please have your cameras on. Um, um, brother Anis, I think you've already been on, right? Is that right? You have been. Um, yeah. Say then, Mahmoud, if you want to put your cameras on, we can get you on. Uh, brother Anis, we'll try to get you on again. Um, Brother Sayyid and Brother Mahmoud, otherwise we're going to get Brother Ennis on again. Okay, Brother Sayyid, can we see you? Let's have a quick look. Just give us a quick wave. That's lovely. We're going to get you on next, Brother Sayyid. You can put your camera off if you prefer, or you can uh, leave your camera on, uh, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, Brother Sayyid, welcome to the stream. Brother Saeed, can you hear us? We can't hear you. Just make sure your microphone is selected uh, and connected. Brother Saeed? Nope. Try to try to sort your microphone out, brother, and then uh, put your camera back on when it's working, and then we'll try to get you back on again. Uh, brother Mahmoud, uh, if you put your camera on, I can get you on. Uh, brother Enes, did you want to ask something else? Uh, uh... Yeah, it's about the hadith. Uh, in Sahih Bukhari, mm -hmm. which states that uh, the Prophet was bewitched, and then uh, in if we took the Quran in Surah Sad, uh, it says on verse uh, 30, uh, 83, except your chosen servants among them, how how can the Prophet be bewitched? So sorry, what does the verse in the Quran say? Can you just give the reference again? Uh, it's uh, uh, 3883 in the Quran. 3883. 30, and the, uh, the hadith is 3175 in Sahih Bukhari. 3883, you said, yeah. So 30, 80, except for your loyal servants amongst them. Is that right? Yes, it's about the conversation between shaitan and Allah, where he states that he's going to uh, mislead them all. So he said, by your majesty, I will seduce them all, except for your loyal servants amongst them. Yes. So this is shaitan saying that he will misguide people, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. So what has that got to do with uh, seher? What has that got to do with black magic or magic? I, I, I thought uh, magic couldn't be done on... No, but uh, how, the... how have you equated shaitan enticing people to do sins to black magic i mean i i thought uh like the prophets couldn't uh, get touched by 
any kind of that. No, but brother, you've you've. What I'm trying. Uh, please um, excuse me if I'm not um, explaining it properly. The, the no, ayah in the Quran is talking. The, the ayah in the Quran is talking about that he will in, he will inspire people or he will misguide people with with swas, with whispers, with enticing them to do bad things. Let me read the verse for you. So yeah. Satan, this is thirty-eight eighty-two. Satan said, "By your glory, I will certainly mislead them all." Except your chosen servants among them. Mm. So, so this, this is thing about misleading them, mm. i.e., taking them away from Allah and Islam. Misguiding them, yeah. Misguiding, misguiding them, yeah. them. Exactly. Okay, yeah. And uh, the hadith that you, I haven't looked at the hadith, but I assume it's talking about what you said, witchcraft. Seher, seher, magic. Yeah, it's seher, yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah. You know that those two things are different, which is what I've asked. I, I didn't know that actually. I didn't yeah, know that. They're, they're different, brother. They are different. Uh, and 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 the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Again, this is a look. We have to understand that there is a lesson here for us. And the lesson was that these things can happen. And then the Prophet wasallam was specifically given some ayah of the Quran. And this is why it's very important after your farad salah, you know, and especially when you before you go to sleep. That you read the three kuls, kul nas, you blow on your hands and you rub your body with these things. And it's good to read these things regularly, as you should read Ayat al Kursi regularly as well. Blow on yourself, blow on your house as well. Because these are the, and Surah Baqarah, we know that the last, is it four ayahs of Surah Baqarah, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, uh, that if you read these, um, um, that you will have protection. So these things are, these things have been, mashallah, taught to us. And and in that is a lesson. If Allah wanted, Allah, Allah could have protected the Prophet from seher, from black magic, if he wanted to. But he allowed certain things to happen because it became a lesson for us to learn from. But mm -hmm. the two things that you raised are not contradictory. No, that's not what they meant. That's not... Because they're talking about, they're, they're talking about, um, sorry, brother, I think I might have accidentally clicked you off. Uh, they're, they're talking about different things, brother. Yeah, that's uh, that's my fault on my understanding. It's not, not, not a that I meant it's con uh, contradicting each other. Not not a problem, brother. So does that does that clarify? Each yes, other? yes. Thank you, Achi. Uh, doctor, did you do you want to add anything to that? Oh, that's, that's, no, that's perfect. Jazakallah khair, boss. Jazakallah khair, brother Enes. Assalamualaikum. So we have one of our favorite truck drivers in the world. <laughs> Mashallah, <laughs> brother Sioni. Assalamualaikum uh, warahmatullah. Assalamualaikum, brothers. How are you? It's awesome to see you guys as well. Alhamdulillah. How how are you? How are you doing, brother? Are you all right? That I'm I'm awesome. I just pulled up at home, so I was oh, going to ask a quick question. But is the other brother that was wanting to come on before available? No, no, he's not. He's not here yet. So I'm just checking to see. He's not. He's not there. No, he's not. He's not here yet. So please, brother, go ahead. nothing. It's Nothing in particular, just to try to confirm things for myself, obviously, because I'm still new. Just going on um, leadership in the Islamic world itself. Is there, how do you guys, without sounding ignorant or rude, obviously, Allah Himself is. At the top, then the prophets, obviously Prophet Muhammad being the last one, that's who we follow. How do you then rank 
everyone below that when you because every every time someone will bring up a question, it's like oh, talk to someone in school like scholarship, scholarship. That's basically the main word that gets thrown out. Yes, yes. But for me, just going off what I've seen because I obviously listen to a lot of um, videos on YouTube while I'm plotting around doing stuff where I'm at work. You've got obviously muftis, sheikh, imams, all that kind of stuff. How do you like who? I don't want to sound rude, but who's higher than who? Yeah, yeah. Brother Sioni, it's a very good question. So basically, the, we, we have this in the Quran itself. Allah says, you know, um, if you don't know about a matter, go to those people who have knowledge. Go to those who uh, uh, who know. Yeah. In other, because even me, as a born Muslim, okay, because... And and this is a this is not some false sense of um, um, humility or any modesty or anything like that. This is just tr truly being just honest. Because because of being lazy and I haven't learned the religion in the depth and in, in the in the in the way that I should have done in, to enable me to really know about these matters. Mm. I'm forced to go to people who know. So I'll go yeah. to Sheikh Abu Alia, for example, my, a good friend of mine, and I will say, Sheikh, according to the Hanafi Madhab, which is the, sco the school that I'm following, um, you know, if I do X or Y, uh, would that be correct? Or should I be actually doing it like this? So, and then he will be able to pull verses of the Quran and he'll be able to access the Hadith. And he will then say to me, according to the mother uh, hanafi mother this would actually be perhaps the closest thing that i can find or this would be specifically the thing how you should do it basically for clarification now that's somebody you know sioni who's been in the religion for 40 54 years right yeah and this is somebody who uh, mashallah i'm very blessed that i had uh, mashallah scholars in my family my mother's brother for example who's passed away may Allah give him Jannah now I had other uncles who were also Huffaz who were Alims who were mashallah very you know scholars very well trained uh, but you know I I'm lazy I haven't learned Arabic so I can't access the Quran I can't access the grammar of the Quran I can't access the context of the Quran in the way that a scholar who's trained to be able to do so will be able to do so and and similarly, Brother Sioni, you know, if you want to go and find out about neurology or psychology or any medical ailment, you know, you might go to Dr. Imran, for example, and say, a doctor, you know, I've got a pain in my tummy. You're not just going to pick up a, a few books and try it or go on the Internet. And then I'm sure it, uh, Dr. Imran meets a few people that uh, say, I read on the Internet that this is what I've got. And they already come with the uh, with the prognosis. Uh, but, we, but generally, we don't do that because we realize that uh, there is such a thing as, um, uh, you know, expertise within those subjects. And Islam is no different because the Quran is a book revealed in Arabic, in classical Arabic. To be able to truly fully immerse yourself and access it, there has to be a level of training and a level, level of understanding. And one of the main things that you need to learn is the grammar and the language and the, and how the <coughs> and how the language works? So does that does that sort of make some sense to you or? Yeah, no, I am. I understand. I understand that. Um, 
it was just a, an interest of my just because of my family's background. Um, I'll just give a, a rough thing from the the Mormon religion. Obviously, they've got their current day prophet. Yeah, have have had since Joseph Smith's time back in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, and it's slowly gone forward. And then you've obviously got his two offsiders, and then they've got a certain quorum under them, and then a group under them. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to rationalize it that way, even though I can understand if it's doesn't matter if it's a, a sheikh or a mufti or whatever it is, yeah. they're without knowing on some kind of equal footing, if you want to put it that way. So, so um, basically, one of the things, Brother Sioni, is that one of the ways of recognizing a sheikh is a scholar, a reputable scholar, is that generally there's consensus among scholars mm. that this person is trustable, they are knowledgeable, and they have they're on the right path, basically. That's one. Yeah, no, now, with Mormonism, what you'll find with Mormonism, what you'll find is that there's not a general consensus of Christians who would agree that those scholars are trustable and that you should actually follow them. Now, to be honest, I don't really have scholarship. It's all, yeah, pretty much appointed from the group right yeah, at the top. But but what my point to you is so, that you won't have a consensus within Christendom and scholarship within Christendom that these people are trustable and they're on the right path. Whereas in Islam, one of the one of the ways that you would verify whether somebody is should be listened to is that there'll be a general consensus of scholarship that will actually recognize that individual to be a proper, well-trained, trustable scholar. Yeah. So when when we when you say, or if anyone says the consensus of scholarship, if when someone does become a sheikh or a mufti, is that person I don't know, posted in a a legitimate forum somewhere to say this person has actually become a sheikh or a mufti. That way, people like myself, yeah. like coming across as rude or arrogant, yeah, 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 we, we can trust them. So, what happens with um, so you so this so the way that the scholars teach is so say if you went and sat with a, a circle of a scholar, and the scholar would have some sort of permission to teach some ijazah so whether that's a permission to teach quran uh, an, uh, an ijazah is basically a statement saying that i've learned from such and such scholar and you go back into the, the you know the prophet upon him so it's an, it's an ijazah of the authenticity of the knowledge and the fact that you can you have permission to teach it so if you were to yeah. sit with a scholar and over time you they they knew you they taught you they gave you sufficient information then they would have you teach some small classes and then they saw that you had you know an ability they would give you um a permission to teach whatever section there is so you know i you know there are some brothers that i know who have a jaza to teach you know a, a book of collection of hadith 40 hadith from mom noe etc uh, and other things so once they have this then there were the people who'd be teaching so one of the things one way of saying this is when you go to the scholars and you sit with them they will teach you things and many many of them should be able to provide you with or, or tell you in which disciplines they have ijazah now there are some places where seeking an ijazah isn't really part of the tradition so a lot of people will actually gain a lot of knowledge and they will teach but actually they they will eventually be amongst them a scholar who has this ijazah this permission to teach 
So this is sort of uh, how we would know that someone has permission to teach. They would be known amongst the scholars. They've, they've been with them for many, many years. They've learned traditionally sitting with the scholars and gone through the texts and their explanations and their, you know, the rebuttals to any answers, etc. And then they have permission to teach. So usually they've come out of some sort of seminary. So it may be a particular university or, uh, you know, another more traditional uh, type of teaching system. So this is like... Um, uh, the way that you would know uh, not scholar is authentic but there are many uh, so there are many levels of you know there are really highly qualified and then lesser qualified etc people and often one of the ways that you know someone is really good in the sense of trying to give you the right information is when they don't know they say look i don't know this let me go mm -hmm. and find out for you and then they can come back to you so if you if you're finding someone who it seems to you know make everything every answer they they give is from themselves you, one of the things you'd say is well you know can you evidence can you tell me what you base your opinion upon or, and, and they can should be able to provide you with either evidence or refer you to a scholar who holds that opinion if that makes sense yeah yeah no it makes sense Tony, if i can just if you don't mind um sorry interrupt you um we can continue the conversation but brother brother jason is on and you did say to notify you when he's on is it, is yeah, it, no, feel free to kick me anytime you like. No, 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 no. I wouldn't use that word with you, my brother. There's, there's, there's lots of other words I would use, but certainly they'd be a lot more gentle and a, and a, and a lot nicer than kick. Uh, but uh, it's lovely to have you on. Um, yeah. And um, inshallah, if, please, by all means, um, just email us as well. And if there's other clarifications and issues that you have, or you want, uh, we can do it offline as well. It's not a problem. I, I'm more than happy to let you pass you on my uh, WhatsApp number as well. And if you want to just ask me a quick question or whatever, please feel free anytime at all. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, good. It was just a curious thing for me because I've seen a couple of things pop up, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." No, but it's and, good to ask, yeah. brother. It's very good to you know ask as I many questions wanna... as you want. It's always good to ask. I think it, it much less strengthens our iman, and that's that's important. I think. Yeah, no, just one of those. I didn't want to mention the wrong thing and then get growled at. So not not a problem, brother. And, and look, to be honest, brother, let me just say one thing to you before you go, brother Sioni. And this is a, this applies to a lot of uh, Muslims who are quite new. If people growl at you because you ask a particular question and you're being sincere, you're just asking a question, then to be honest, the problem is with them, not with you. Uh, this is not the Islamic way. The Islamic way is that somebody is new in Islam and they're asking a sincere question, no matter how uh, you know awkward the question might be, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And we should, as Muslims... Please have patience with our brothers and sisters who are new. Uh, sometimes they, they'll make mistakes. Uh, sometimes I'll make mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. We all ask questions sometimes that we feel, uh, uh, you know, please be patient, inshallah. But if so anybody growls or anybody sort of, you know, does anything like that, please just ignore that because that's not Islam and that's not how we should be behaving towards one another. I, I hope that helps you, my brother. No, it does. I just, because I've, I've seen a couple of... Um, comments that came up in earlier ones not long after i did my shahada and say on my shahada i'm like a, a mini hamza which is true to a point but yeah i'm working on it just just brother just ignore people's criticisms and just inshallah mashallah we know you alhamdulillah uh mashallah you're sincere you've come into the religion alhamdulillah your wife has accepted islam her best friend has ac accepted islam as well uh, alhamdulillah you're all on a journey just enjoy the journey. Don't stress yourself out. Just mm -hmm. do as much as you can. But, you know, we don't have to live in perpetual stress 
we just have to, inshallah, do our best. Allah knows that you're trying and you're doing your best. Inshallah, that inshallah, Allah, that will be enough, my brother. Uh, Jazakallah khair for coming on, brother Sioni. That was good. Good to see you guys again. Assalamualaikum, brother. Pleasure. Assalamualaikum, brother. Bye. Uh, lovely brother uh, brother jason we're going to get you on next you can leave your camera on or you can switch it off uh, i just want to apologize to brother jason because the screen was blank and i oh, and i and, and for some reason as i moved the mouse it clicked and just at that split second you happened to appear and i just got you onto the screen and i thought i think that was me i think i accidentally <laughs> clicked you in so my my apologies if you didn't oh, know that's, that's absolutely fine yeah, that's not that's, a problem but um, look, Jason, it's lovely to have you on, um, brother sure. Ali Khair. Sort of explained that you know you've you've decided to leave Islam. Yes, become, become he, I've been trying so hard to convince this guy. We go back and forth. So uh, I love this guy dearly. He's like a brother to me. We grew up with each other. Yeah. So I, 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 I basically. Uh, there's no but no one better than you guys to actually talk to him because I give Ali up. Khair, one of the things that we all have to remember is <laughs> Iman. Iman comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. And it's nothing to do with us. It's nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with Imran. It's nothing to do with our arguments or our abilities. Mm. Uh, all we can do is simply convey uh, the message. Ultimately, Iman belief is something that Allah bestows upon an individual. Uh, and, you know, we, he just uses us perhaps sometimes hmm. uh, to, 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 to give that message. And, 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 and if, you know, Allah chooses, he can choose somebody else. But Brother Jason, uh, welcome to the stream. I just I, before I you start, I just wanted to say um, this is the, the format for the stream actually is we're helping people to give da'wah. So um, this is not normally we wouldn't have someone who's a, who isn't a Muslim come on, but uh, but Ali has come on and he's requested this. So this is sort of an exception to the rules. So I just want to yeah, make it. Yeah. And to be honest, and another reason actually for, for allowing Brother Jason on as well, but at the time we actually didn't have any other guests. So we, <laughs> we squeezed you in. But, but okay, that's not to say that we wouldn't have tried to get you on anyway, because yeah, I think it's an important yes. issue. But uh, Jazakallah yeah. Dr. Imran for reminding me. I tend to stray. Because we're going to get complaints later on. So <laughs> yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I tend to stray and, you know, I get my hand sort of smacked afterwards. But Jason, how? what's your – can I ask you – Sure. A little bit about yourself, like I mean, in terms of what, what, roughly, like what country you're from. Not you don't have to give me specifics, but no, um, no, no, absolutely. Your background, the background. Sort of, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Where from. So, okay, so I was born and raised in the states, in uh, in the Northeast. Um, just like Ali said, we we kind of were, grew up together in the same community. Um, I'm half Egyptian and half American, ethnically speaking. So my mm -hmm. mother is American, but converted to Islam before I was born. And my father is Egyptian Muslim, born and raised in Cairo, and, and migrated to the States. And I, I do apologize for any noise on no, the worst no location possible. No problem at all. Um, so, uh, uh, and first of all, I just want to say that I appreciate the fact that you guys are taking this ball, as I understand it's not the, the right format for it. And um, I also understand the irony between just seeing somebody who just converted, <laughs> speaking with you, and then myself who left. And I can understand that that can be offensive to uh, those of the Islamic faith, and then uh, those who are observing this, who, who might be, um, who might consider this uh, the ultimate sin, uh, so to speak, as I understand it to be in, in my in my youth. So, um, so I grew up uh, with a very strong religious background. Um, I would say a little too strong. Uh, so maybe in some ways I can look like the uh, the, the typical 
let's say, uh, reversion or, or non-conversion or whatever you want to call it, somebody who left the, the religion, uh, just in the fact that I grew up with a very extreme uh, environment around Islamic beliefs that were, let's say, I understand them to be wrong and I understand them to be very extreme and I understand that it's not the majority of people's experiences in their religion. Um, but yes, so I grew up uh, going to a Muslim school in a Western country, which was very odd a situation to be in. So there definitely was a great deal of identity crisis and things like that between my two backgrounds and where I was living and then what I was taught. So I'm, I'm fully aware of that and I've made peace with that over the years. Uh, but ultimately, I when I left the religion, I left it out of spite because of my childhood. Um, but as I've grown up, I, I'm now 35 years old. I have a daughter. I, I have a wife. Um, uh, my wife has a similar background in the sense of ethnically speaking, but she uh, she wasn't born and raised with religion. So it, it, it's something that we meet on in terms of just not uh, raising our child with religion and not participating in any type of religion. Now, I do consider myself an atheist, but I don't consider myself, uh, let's say, a practicing atheist, so to speak. So maybe more of an agnostic. Uh, it's not that I don't believe that there is no God per se. I just don't believe in religion. That's That's my fundamental beliefs. And when, so as I matured through my way of thinking, after leaving the religion for, from spite and from, you know, more of a childish rebellion, um, as I got older, I, I understood more of, let's say, a spiritual journey or just more of like a, an idea of just seeing more of the spiritual side rather than just the very tough, rigid, rules-only kind of format that I was raised in. And I've come to appreciate some, let's call them, fundamental truths that religion teaches. And I can say that between all the different types of religious beliefs, uh, major ones or, or less minority beliefs, as well as let's say um, certain spiritual areas that are not related to religion or any type of dogmas, as well as even let's say uh, things like Taoism, which which really uh, don't have any religious, uh, religious uh, parts, components to it whatsoever. So I've come to a place where I can appreciate the religion and I appreciate the people who, who, who worship. I, I appreciate the people who, who, who worship it in a, in a good way and who are inclusive and who are thoughtful and, 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 and are, are not looking to really demonize those who go against their belief systems. Um, however, with all of my research and all the time I've spent on this, I can conclusively say without a doubt that it's not for me. And I know that to be true. And I also can understand that, you know, from my friend's perspective, from Ali's perspective, it's it's always been a battle of trying to re-recruit me or to at least have me understand why he accepted the religion because he grew up the, the opposite. He grew up with the culture, but without the religion. I grew up with the religion without the culture. And in uh, the religion in a very, like I said, dogmatic, very, you know, strict format. Um, whereas he grew towards the religion, I grew away from the religion and we just kind of met as adults again in recent years. And we understood that we live in two very parallel lives when it comes to religious beliefs and all. So I guess if I were to phrase all of this into a question, which again, I know this is more of a question answer format. And I understand that it's more about, like you said, uh, particularly towards people of the faith. Um, first of all, any kind of conversation that I can have around Islam cannot be within the confines of Islamic belief. If the, if the, if the, if the conversation requires me to accept something with faith or to say because god said so or to say you know it has to have its own argument 
to begin with for each individual topic because I don't believe in it, right? And so there are times where I just, I disagree. I fundamentally disagree. And it's just, well, then I can't be a part of this. And I don't intend to be a part of it because I've made peace with my own relationship with the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. And I feel very comfortable and confident with the way I live and with the moral compass that I've come to 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 live by. And uh, and and I guess that's where Ali and I always have our confusion because he really believes that you need to have that pure structure and that that ability to surrender to a religion and to a specific uh, belief system where I don't believe that's the case. Now, I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm saying that maybe majority of society does require that to some degree. And I think it's useful in some areas. And I think it's dangerous in other areas, uh, depending on how it's practiced. But if I were to form into a question, it's um, just between my relationship with Ali. It's if I cannot come to the belief of Islam, and if I were, let's say, if I said I was Muslim, I would be completely lying. I would be lying to myself. I would be lying to other people. I would be lying to my family. I would be lying to my friends, right? Or I can just, so now my question is, first of all, like, and, and again, this is more for my friendship with Ali because I've made peace with my, with my place in this world. But my, as far as my friendship with Ali and with, you know, let's say family members that might still hold on to the same, uh, very strict belief systems. It's, is there a way for people to accept people like me in, in your religious belief? That, that would be my question. So, so mashallah, there's a lot to unpack there. And sure. I'd like, I'd like, <laughs> I'd like I'd like Dr. Imran to inshallah talk to you um just because I feel that mashallah he's uh, uh, uh I think a lot better equipped than I am certainly but just a couple of little questions I just like to you, you know you said to me or you said to us that you know you left the religion out of spite right um you, you clearly are a very rational person I try um, to be you're, you're intelli- you're intelligent right would would you say that's a good reason to leave a belief system? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely okay. not. I, I completely agree that it was the wrong way to leave. But sure. ultimately, I've reached my destination after I've come to terms with that whole situation. Right. But fundamentally, you would accept that the initial leaving is something mm-hmm. that you accept is not really a rational or reasonable. Oh, 100%. Yes. That's the first I thing, absolutely right? agree with you. The second thing I just wanted to ask you before Dr. Imran comes in. Is that I I actually agree with you on on some of what you're saying, for example, which might surprise some people, which which is that simply to believe things on the basis of faith without reason and without coming to a conclusion as to the source being validated, i.e. from the creator, I would have a problem with that myself. Right. Because if I could not verify for myself beyond reasonable doubt, because we're not talking about absolutes here, there's no such thing as absolutes. We all recognize that. But if I could not, as a a, a person born in England, brought up in England, educated in England, like Dr. Imran, whatever, Mm -hmm. if I could not come to a conclusion based upon evidence that I should even take these words or these statements seriously, I would have a problem in them. I'm sure I would. Um, but but if you were able to establish that those words actually were from the creator, beyond reasonable doubt, would you then accept uh, uh, Islam as a way of life and, and accept being a Muslim? Okay, so I appreciate the question. And I understand the direction that you're coming from. Um, 
here's here's my here's my fundamental issue when it comes to religious structure. First, I believe fundamentally that, and these are this is my belief system. So um, I understand that people can be very different about this, but I believe fundamentally that there is something out there that we don't understand. We try to conceive of it by calling it religion. We try to conceive of it by calling it, you name it. We've been around, humans have been around for what? 50,000 years, right? So along the 50,000 years, we're talking about in the last couple of thousand years that we're, we're discussing religious beliefs. But over the 50,000 years, there have been plenty of different belief systems around what is and isn't happening or, or, or what the creator is or what where we came from and all of this. And there are a lot of areas that I just, I logically cannot comprehend and I logically can't get my head wrapped around. And then just this idea of putting everything into one pocket doesn't make sense to me from a fundamental level. So let's put it this way. And this is something I've explained to Ali before. If I were to join a religion, and, and first of all, I don't have the need to want to join a religion. I, I don't have that. So as long as I don't have the desire or the, the calling towards it, I'll, I'll never take it seriously because I have, in my opinion, and, and again, I know this can be very offensive to people, I have more important things to deal with as, as a father, as, as a partner, you know, as, as a husband, as, uh, as a provider to my family, that, and, and then as just a, a growing person that I want to make sure that I, 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 I'm working hard towards my family, that if I were to take that journey, I would have to physically, in order to eliminate all of these logical fallacies that exist in my mind, I would have to study each and every religion that's ever existed in humanity in order to say that this is the one. And you that would take beyond my life. Brother, you know well, what that, it is. Okay, again, again there's, a, there's a bit to unpack there, but I'll let Dr. Imran come in sure. there. But look, quite, sure. the question I asked you is, if you through reason and investigation establish that what you have in your hand is the word of God, and then you establish that it's the preserved word of God, would you then accept it? You see, this, this whole notion of me having to investigate every religion out there, you mm -hmm. don't. Because I'll tell you why you don't. Because, you know, you might in your work have a certain process, okay? And once you've established that process works, mm -hmm. you don't need to establish every other process that doesn't work because you've discovered okay. the one that works, right? I, I, I understand what you're saying. Now, now similarly, that my question to you was that if you came to a conclusion, let's, let's be frank about the Quran, for example, that this okay. is indeed a revelation. It has no other explanation. And you were convinced that actually it's preserved because there's evidence to support that as well. What mm -hmm. I'm then telling you is now you've discovered the fact that it is from God, from Allah, and it is preserved. My question to you is, would you then accept it and follow it? That's the question. Okay. So I've, I've listened to some of those videos. I've reviewed some of that argument. I don't think anything will be said in this conversation that hasn't been said before that I haven't viewed or heard of from Ali. and. To be honest with you, the more I hear of it, I just I, I don't I don't see that being a fundamental unequivocal, you know, truth. I see it as an argument. I, I think that if like for example, Ali would bring up like certain uh I guess like uh let's call them miracles of the Quran, that like predictions that the Prophet made or things like that. My argument is if if the Quran wanted to be known to be something that's true and that's unequivocal like like the absolute truth and and word of god then why not reveal it in that way 
to each and every person in some manner, rather than having the possibility of doubt and the requirement of faith, because that's always going to be there. No matter how far you get, there's always going to be some level of faith requirement in order to get there. Otherwise, everything would already be implanted in our minds in some way or another. And I get that this is this doesn't make sense to those who practice the religion because there there's this idea that we have this um that we have the uh, we have the um the ability to make our own choices, the free, freedom of will, for the, we have free will and our free will allows us to to choose our path or what what have you, but if my mind continues to have these logical fallacies that I question, and no matter what evidence been like evidence quote unquote has, has been pr- produced to me, I just I don't see it unequivocally being true. I just can't. Yeah, brother Jason, uh, I'm not to be fair, brother Jason. To be fair, yeah. and I, I say yeah. respectfully, that's not the question yeah. I asked you. Okay. The question uh, that I, I asked you was that if you were convinced through your investigation. Okay. And you established for yourself beyond reasonable doubt that this was indeed the book of God, the book from Allah, and that you established that it was preserved. Now you've established mm-hmm. these two things, right? Okay. Okay. Would you then accept it as and okay. follow it? Okay. Okay. So what you're saying is that if I were to understand that with a hundred percent certainty no, I beyond a reasonable that. doubt, beyond question. a reasonable doubt, that's not the okay. question. <laughs> Be, okay, without a reasonable doubt that yeah. the entire book of the Quran is preserved and is yes. from God, yes, would I believe it? Yes. Would you follow it? You see, I, I have trouble answering this question because I can't see myself ever believing that to be true. Don't overthink it, brother. Just, just think about the question and uh, think about the question because I'll tell you why I'm asking this question. Okay. Because I think we would all agree unanimously here, regardless of that knowledge that we're talking about, whether it's, again, I bring up neuroscience, whatever it might be, right? Sure. Yeah. Once you're convinced that this is this book is correct because you've got enough reasons to believe so beyond reasonable doubt, and you can prove that it's actually not been changed by people and manipulated and fabricated. Quite frankly, I don't, I don't mean this disrespectfully. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone of, of us would have a problem to then follow those teachings, whatever those teachings were, because we've established that they're true. Okay, so here, here's okay. Let me let me put a crazy idea out there. I'm just going to be like completely science fiction on you here. Okay, if we were an alien species trying to let's say penetrate a society in another culture in another time if we put down certain ideas in a book and we we establish that this this book came from somebody who's beyond your your world beyond your sphere that claims to be god wouldn't you then say okay maybe this book is true as you say but who knows the source of it and who knows the intentions of it and i still have to i still have to logically accept each and every part of it do you understand what I'm saying? So, like, you can establish, let's say, if, if you were able to establish that the book was pure, like, from a purist perspective, it's completely pure, untouched, whatever, right? And then you also are able to tell me that it comes from, let's say, an unknown source that you want to claim is God. I don't know how you would get there, but let's say you claim that it's the creator. Now, I still have to look at it with an intelligent mind, and I have to question whatever it is that I'm told. Because that's how I am by design. I don't. I, I, we're we're all designed to question everything and to understand each and everything that we're told, not just to follow blind orders. Is your logic and your reason absolute? 
if I don't follow my logic and my reason, I would be hypocritical. And I, I, and I choose not to be hypocritical. So whether you consider that absolute or not, I just choose not to be a hypocrite. So if the doctor, you know, did a cesarean on a woman and he cut up, cut, cut open her, her, her stomach basically to, mm-hmm. to, to, uh, you know, uh, in, enable that woman to survive and the child to survive. Mm-hmm. And you didn't understand why they were doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. The doctor wouldn't be wrong for doing that. You'd be wrong for thinking that, wouldn't you? Correct. But the doctor has a responsibility to explain to me the procedure and why it's happening. Right. But that doesn't mean that you'll understand every procedure, right? That is correct. But I'll yeah. still need to understand the gist of it, especially if my life is on the line or my wife's life is on the line. But, 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 but say you don't understand it. Yeah. And it's a, and it's, and it's a life or death situation. There's always... The reason why I'm right. asking you that question is that yeah, generally right. mm-hmm. we as human beings do mm-hmm. not apply that level of skepticism to anything in life, whether it's to take drugs, whether, like you know, medication, whether it's to see the doctor, whether it's to be cut open by the doctor and he's going to do some sort of complex surgery upon us. You know, he, they could explain it. But the reality is there's there's a vast gap of knowledge between you and the, and that particular expert in that particular field, right? I, I agree with you 100%. I, for example, I, mean, I don't, I don't sense, fully understand yeah. quantum physics. I'm not going to deny sure. quantum physics on the basis that I don't right. fully understand it. Of so, course, of so course. So what I'm trying to explain to you is that, and I'll let Dr. Imran come in there now, I think it seems very reasonable that once you're convinced of something being and forget you know what miracles brother ali might have showed you or what you might have seen or whatever but i'm saying for yourself once you've reasoned into accepting that something is from god um i'm i'm a bit sort of surprised that you would say that even if you were convinced that it was from god and that it but was preserved, how, how would you ever know that it's from god that, forget the how brother i'm talking okay. about if you were convinced right. that's what i'm trying to get at here Okay. I, I, and so and so I just find it somewhat astonishing, actually, that even if you were convinced that it was from God and it was preserved, that you'd still find some reasons to want to deny it. That's what I find a little bit difficult to understand. So what, what I'm trying to explain to you is that it's not a question of trying to find reasons to deny it. It's trying to find reasons to understand why. We, we, we Everything we do has, has purpose. Everything we do has purpose. And for me to say, like, Okay, let's say there there would be things that I maybe wouldn't understand fully, but I would say okay that this this could make sense. But then there are things like so, so. So my point is that even when it comes to science, even when it comes to like you said a health situation, I am the type of person that will ask questions and understand what the hell is. Go- Sorry, my apologies for language. What is going on in the situation? So for example, like there was a surgery that took place recently with a family member. I needed to know everything that was going on. Surgeons make mistakes. There's no absolute on a surgeon's behavior. I'm going to choose the best surgeon that's capable of the job in my local area within, you know, affordability. And I'm going to understand the procedure and do research on it before I put a family member through that. And then during that procedure, I'm going to hope that everything turns out okay, knowing that I've done my due diligence and that I put my my family member in the hands of a of a person who's capable. And that I understand what's going on, what the risks are involved, what the percentage of, of, of whatever is going on. And then I take those those steps necessary to, to get to, to where I need to get to. Now, if you're telling me that there is a, a creator out there who would have written a book, who would have been absolute 
to the words of the book. And there's going to be a requirement of faith to know that he is the creator that wrote this book. It could just be a very, very beyond our world intelligent creature that could have written the book and manipulated all of us into becoming, I don't know, some sort of like <laughs> alien tribe towards some common goal or something like who knows, right? So there's no way of actually concretely reaching this belief system that this was God that wrote it, which I don't think you would even be able to convince me that it was written by any type of like, let's say, overly intelligent creature or, or being or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then to tell me that you would have to follow things blindly, like it, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense to me at all from so a so fundamental so basically, level. Basically, Jason, what you're saying to me is that you would make all those decisions about medical care and what have you, effectively right. all based on balance of probability, right? Correct. Not, not necessarily on absolute certainty. Absolutely. There's no absolute certainty in life. No problem. Look, I'll get Dr. Imran, inshallah, come in there and, okay. uh, you know, <laughs> let him, inshallah, speak to you. Yeah, so thanks. Uh, James, is it? Was that right? James, who's Jason. your name? Jason. Jason. Okay, thanks, Jason, for your um, for explaining your background. It was very interesting to hear. You said yeah. a lot of things. Um, I mean, I, the intelligent alien thing was very amusing. We'll get into that uh, probably a little bit later. But... Um, I can see you wearing the Star Wars T-shirt as well, so it sort of fits in a little bit. With, uh, yeah, sorry, with I, coincidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> often go to this Disney uh, last week. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So the the thing you said a few things. So one thing you said was religion is not for me. Right. Yeah. You said religion is not for me. For me, and I would like to know why that's the case. Religion isn't for you. And then you said. Um, so I'm just trying to think because because you said it, I was trying to make notes of these things, but I, I didn't wasn't writing anything down. I should have done that maybe. So one thing you said, religion is not for you. And I want to know why you think that is. And the second thing you said is that you believe in something out there, and I want to know how you've arrived at that conclusion. Um, so maybe maybe why why isn't religion for you? What's the reason? Because you said it was like okay. for the masses, but not for me. As if it's almost like okay, a, no, I, the masses yeah. type of thing. Okay. What, what is it? Okay, why isn't so religion for you? Okay, so first of all, I, I don't want to come across as pompous as if I'm above religion and that the masses are like some you know general population or whatever the case is. That's not how I feel at all. I respect each and every person in this world, and I respect everybody's journey that they're on. And I think that there is an individual, there's a, there's a there's a sense of individuality in all of us, and we all have our own independent journeys. And whether we belong to a certain community, tribe, culture, religion, let's say even time, because time is a huge factor in all of this, because we're all mortals and, and we're all within our same time frame. There, there have been people living again for the last 50,000 years, right? So um, modern humans have existed at least for the last 50,000 years. Beyond that, we've, we've been around for even longer, uh, arguably. So um, when I say religion is not for me, uh, the reason why I say that is because, so I explained that I left the religion based on, let's say, the wrong reasons, and admittedly so. Um, and then I decided to... Uh, I decided to do some, let's, okay, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, of my own personal journey. Um, so I reached a point where I found myself falling into a, 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 a bit of a nihilistic mentality, okay? It's very easy when you, when you don't have any kind of moral compass to easily fall into this idea of, well, nothing means anything. There's no reason for anything. Why am I doing any of this? Why take on responsibilities? Why try it anything in love, right? So I, I did reach a point of nihilism about, let's say, five, six years ago, somewhere around there. And in that time, I, I found myself to be very self-destructive. 
not necessarily doing anything particularly terrible. I'm not talking about drug habits or things like that, but just um, falling apart, emotionally speaking, let's say spiritually speaking, whatever the case may be. I've never had a spiritual background. The way religion was taught to me was as a rules to be done. You live for the afterlife. Nothing matters in this life. Kind of a nihilistic way of thinking, if you think about it. But that's that's how I was taught in a very rigid, rigid way. And I understand that to be wrong. Um, and I'm not saying that's a representation of the religion whatsoever. So during that time, I started to uh, I started to listen to a lot of the science behind. I, I'm actually a big fan of neuroscience. So I think from uh, Abbas's conversation earlier, it sounds like maybe he is too. Um, so during my time of listening to a lot of uh, uh, neuroscience, uh, uh, let's say reports and, and conversations uh, surrounding uh, meditation, the practice of meditation, and and the achievements of it uh, from from let's say uh, personality perspective and growth perspective and so on, uh, and just from the science perspective of it, just just the things that happen in the brain with like the gray matter and the ability to control your emotions, your executive function, all of that. These are all traits that come from meditation, arguably. You can reach the same thing, perhaps through Salah in, in Islamic religion, right? So I, I started to to listen to that, and I started to follow the science. The science really drew me in, and then I started practicing meditation. And through my practices, I found uh, a surrender. I found a peace. I found all of those things that religion talks about through my meditation practice. Okay, and as I, I went through that, um, getting onto uh, belief in something. Uh, something out there, um, I could feel this this connection to something bigger than what we are and what our everyday lives are. As I started to calm down that part of the brain that's that's triggered by stress and and eager to move and do things, and I started to feel a level of peace around it. And I only found that through practice of meditation. I've only been able to find that there. And I found that with with just in my practices, just for me, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's my it's my little thing that I get to do every day, um, and it's what centers me and allows me to to refocus on my goals, to refocus on my responsibilities, and to battle any sense of nihilism that once was. So that so that that's what it was for me. Now um, now when I say so, so 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 that that's that was my journey to that point, and then I understood at some point that you can't separate meditation from spirituality and i didn't understand that going into it but then i had that experience of just feeling this openness feeling this calmness and again i i would say it's probably all uh neurological it's probably all something that goes on in the brain but um yeah, but, no sorry uh james yeah. i was trying to try and get sure. to because you you spoke about um so you you conflate a sort of nihilism with fatalism when you're talking about your religion because okay. you're because basically, your brother, brother Ali, he grew up in a. Uh, apologies if I'm generalizing, but you grew up in a an a religious environment. Yeah, non-religious, non yeah, non-religious environment. I was actually family. raised like uh, Catholic, Muslim, mixed. I have sure. a I have a Shia father. Uh, I have uh, my mother was Sunni. My grandmother was uh, Catholic. Sure. Actually, just communion. Worry, yeah, we were. That. Yeah, I'm just trying to make that. So, and and you grew up in an environment which wasn't religious either. Actually, it was just ritualistic because that's not the religion either islam is not just ritualistic so so yeah. none of you had the religion really yeah you you just had a bad experience because of a ritualism and that's led you away from it but one of the things that you said was that you 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 like things concrete you use logic you want concrete evidence you talk about this 100 certainty 
and now you're t and I've asked you why you've arrived at the and I don't understand why religion wasn't for you apart from the fact that it was um you got into science I mean that's the only link I've seen but then you said that you wanted what you wanted was uh concrete stuff and evidence and logic and really you've just gone mm -hmm. with feelings right. I so, felt very so calm doing I felt very calm doing meditation it felt very spiritual I couldn't separate spirituality from uh, the meditation, the calm feeling from spirituality. And so this is all subjective experience so far. So what's, right. what sure. are you based uh, I want you to give me something that I understand that fits with okay. your worldview of logic, sure. science. So, so, led yeah, you to so, this so here's something out there. I, Yeah, okay. So again, like there, there are, like I understand the arguments towards a create, creator. I understand those arguments. I understand the arguments towards like. I've not made any arguments for the, I'm trying to understand you. No, no, no. I, yeah. I understand it. I understand it. So, Okay. Okay. So I'm trying to put things into perspective here. So, um, so let me phrase the question for you. Sure. So, please do. Yeah, that would be helpful. So the way, so the, so I asked you about um, why religion wasn't for you. Yeah. So specifically, why is why is why are you sort of writing off religion? Okay. And the second thing was, how have you arrived at there must be something out there? Um, okay. Is that is that is that, is that just intuition? Is it just a subjective? feeling or have you come to that we're using some logical rational reason okay so I, I the other thing argument. is that I, I haven't i haven't responded at all to the reductionist view of consciousness and everything i haven't i'm not i haven't come to that the idea of neuroscience that consciousness somehow is uh, you know our our brain states reflect our conscious experience i haven't come to any of that that's very controversial yeah. to say, but that's another topic, and I don't want to muddy the waters. But sure. I, in case anyone's listening, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't want to. I'm aware of that, but I don't think it's worth discussing at this present moment in time. I'd like to understand how you've come up with there must be something out there because that's quite a big step. How sure, did you? Sure. How did okay. you? So why not religion? Why? Why have you written off religion? And then why? Okay. Why do you believe in something rather than nothing? Okay. So my journey brought me to a place of peace with without religion religion brought me to a place of let's say just fear and uh, it, it brought me to a terrible place in my childhood and i understand that that's not true to everybody's experiences that was my unique experience but at the end of the day where i am today the journey that i've taken i'm very comfortable exploring my own beliefs exploring exploring my own moral compass coming to understanding a lot of these universal truths that might be taught in different religions and a multitude of religions that I can experience on my own way. And I'm very comfortable doing that. So that's why religion is not for me. I don't see the purpose of joining, um, of joining a community that will have a very specific way of living where I follow my own intuitions, my own path, and as long as I'm being honest with myself, as long as I'm being, as long as I'm being honest more than anything else, I can tap into whatever it is that guides my inner morality, my inner compass. And I feel very comfortable with that. I don't want to change that for anything. So that's why religion is not for me. And then as far as believing that something's out there, I guess the way I would explain that is, again, it's probably a neurological experience. It's probably nothing more than that. So I'm not trying to make a logical case for any of this. It just was my experience to feel that calmness in my life that allowed me to take on the challenges of life in a different way 
and take on my responsibilities and battle the nihil the, the inevitable nihilism that I was experiencing uh, years ago. And and I continue to just accept that there are things that I won't know, there are things that I'll never know, and just uh, and, and that's and that's okay to me. That's completely okay to me. But I feel very comfortable with where I am, and I don't see the point of trying to explore anything else. I don't have the need for it. I don't have the drive for it. And if I went towards it, it would be very dishonest because it would take me away from my inner journey. What? Which, um, so, okay. So, so I think what you're telling me is that, and I can, you can. I'm just trying to summarize everything because you're saying that you're of saying. Course. I'm trying to understand you. So you said you. It seems to be that you you feel that you get the feelings of religion without religion. I feel like I get the benefits of religion without religion. Yeah, that's what you're. So that's your feeling that you feel something that you think religion should be giving you, but without religion through meditation. Well, then it's not just through meditation. It's it's through meditation. Yes, mostly through meditation, but also through being honest with myself. And then I I come to the conclusion where I understand that some of these let's say universal truths that are revealed through religion and through a multitude of religions, not just Islam. I, I find to be true on a fundamental level. And so I start to one feel... On a okay. okay, being kind to other people. Something very simple, a moral perspective that's shared across a multitude of surviving religions through evolution of the religion. And again, like I, I do have the evolutionary belief system, whereas religions are able to evolve to what they are today and to be able to encompass large groups of people because they are teaching some things that are valuable to a functioning society. So I, I think, I believe that, um, and again, those things can be manipulated, but for the most part, they can be something virtuous. They can be something good, right? So I believe that being honest and being, and, and, and being, kind, to other, being kind to other people, we've, we've come to know through neuroscience that giving is the most rewarding thing. And that's something that's fundamentally taught in almost every religion, right? That's one example. No, so I think... I think you're giving neuroscience more epistemic value than it actually has. Um, Maybe. How do you, how do you know that? So let's let me just try it. So because I'm trying to understand you, because I think there's lots of. Uh, pardon me, I'm just saying it as I'm seeing it. So I'm not trying to be rude sure. or anything. There's a no lot problem. of, I think, flaws in the flow of logic actually in what you're talking about, from my perspective. Okay. Sure. Um, so, I. The, the reason you gave for not accepting a religion is because you get the feelings of religion without it, which is it's interesting because I'd, I'd like to know how is it that you know what religion feels like? Are you just oh, equating well, I, meditation to no. the feelings that you get? So let me just give no. you my thought process. Yeah. And then the really interesting thing was that the, this nihilism, now this nihilism is actually the logical consequence of atheism. If you're an Correct. atheist and you don't believe that God exists, there is no other conclusion you can come to except for nihilism nothing matters right. there is no value in life there is no value in the, your loved ones there's no value in being good or being bad or being alive or not being alive it's irrelevant because the universe mm -hmm. is a cold hard brutal fact and we're just a rearrangement of atoms and molecules and there's no purpose there's no direction and nothing ultimately matters so why be here right sure. and that can lead sure. to just hedonism right just enjoy yourself do what you can take whatever you want whatever gives you the buzz go for it and people do that and we see you know one of the highest rates of suicide is among young men who you know particularly in the west we see this so and and it's interesting that to, to come away from that you the meditation helped you come away from that and it connected Correct. you with something you felt connected Correct. to something 
you said right. you know the universe which is really often people anthropomorphize uh god in that way to the universe and say you know like felt connected to the universe and but then but then you're you i don't understand how that leads you to conclude that there is something there what is it you're talking about is this something what is and how because are you saying that this something is the universe or there's something beyond the universe which is what i'm connecting with what are you what are you okay so let me let me take a step back because i think there's a lot of emphasis on that um that to me is an irrelevant part of the story in, in a sense because well first of all okay when i say that i okay so during my meditation practice what i feel is a connection to something more than just my let's say ongoing thoughts that will attack anybody like the, it's the calmness it's that it's that peace that more than anything else so whether you want to picture it as an entity or you want to picture it as this connection to a broader perspective or a broader but Jason, let's say, uh, Jason usually world. when you meditate what you do is you still your thoughts and it's it, actually it's, a detach- well it's a detachment yeah. as opposed to an attachment correct but let me, because but let me explain your, your, because yeah. your thought process your thoughts are just running and right, so you choose right, you focus absolutely. on something in the now or the physical or something okay. there to so let me, prevent your mind yeah. from wandering around okay. so it's actually so, not connecting but detaching sure but and i would understand thing, okay? that detaching yourself from the the chaos that is in the you know the world around you is going to make you sure. feel calm well well here, here's the thing let's say in okay when i meditate meditation is a practice of bringing back your concentration to not focusing on anything essentially it's it's practicing that muscle where you're just like my thoughts are wandering i'm bringing it back i'm bringing it back and as and as I practice, as I, I go through that practice, I'm able to visualize all of those areas of my life that might be stabbing at me, that might be bothering me in the subconscious, yeah. and put yeah. them to ease. And yeah. when I reach that point of peace, something else emerges. What emerges is um, I'll be more aware of my emotional connection with my family, something I had done that could have been wrong. I can be more aware of like my behaviors my uh my attitude towards like what things what are the underlying things that are really there that are that are that are attacking my me inner in, in, in an inside how, way you, right? how does that subjective experience get you to there's there has to be something are you what what is this what is it that you're referring to okay so Again, I, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if there's... No, uh, no, that's not the question I'm asking. Okay. So you're saying so your you're question? saying that you're connecting to something. You felt mm-hmm. that, right? This is what led sure. you away from the nihilism, the complete atheism, which is logically ends in nihilism. It led you, the meditation helped you to lead you away right. from that. Y- yes, yes and, and no. I think what it really did... Yeah, so, so I'm sorry to interrupt. Just I just want to Christian, clarify. So Christians, I've often come across Christians who say, look, I had an experience... You know, the road to Damascus and I knew that, you know, Jesus came into my life and, you know, it's all subjective and personal. Forgive me, but that's what I'm getting from from yourself. So really just a, a personal experience that led me to think there's got to be something more out there. Which is just, you know, I mean, I that's not for me, that's because we can't show mm-hmm. each other subjective experiences. Um, sure. Do you understand? So I, I, what I was wanting to know is if you were asking for concrete steps and. But you've arrived at a big conclusion that there must be something out there without any concrete steps. It's just personal experience. Sure. So, okay, let me put it this way. 
Um, it's not necessarily the case that I believe that there's something out there. I, I might have misspoken or maybe it was maybe I was quoting something. I think it got a little bit lost here. What I was trying to talk about when it comes to my meditation practice, it, it is my ability to refocus my moral compass. So it's my realization of my own inner moral compass and those brother those, Jason, brother Jason. Sorry yes. to interrupt, but your exact words yeah. were, uh, your exact words were, I believed that there was something greater than me out there. Correct. Yes. So, so to be fair, you, yeah, it, sound, it sounded like something much greater than you, some okay. sort of whatever that thing might be. Let's not label it. Right. God or anything sure. else. Sure, sure, sure. But but actually that those were your words to be fair. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I probably did say that. Now, but what I'm trying and I, I'm just because you're digging into this deeper, so I'm trying to dig with you here. That's that's why I'm going into this with you. Now, it was the ability to well, I just want to say something because like, I've seen yes, I, I've seen Jason actually do this meditation. We did it together with him. It was pretty awesome actually. Um, but uh, he does it because to center himself. When he's stressed out or whatever the case may be, he does it just to center himself. That's about it. I don't think you yeah. typically do it to connect to. No. Like, like yeah. It's not right? a prayer. That's actually what I was trying to get to. Because what? Because we know we know that if you teach, if children who are in a class running around, if you teach them to be still and focus their thoughts for a little while, they do much better. They calm down. Their emotions are more controlled. They're much more reflective. Right. They tend to study better. But this is nothing to do with uh, there being anything better or greater out there. But you okay, said that. Fair enough. So that what I was trying to understand is: Do you have a good reason for that, or are you just or not? And I, I don't, I don't mind the there not being a good reason. Okay. It, uh, because it, okay. it I'm, I just want you to be. I'm trying to get to the, to the consistency of your thought process. Sure. Because if if it's if it's only logic and science and concrete things, which you sort of emphasized a lot when you were talking to Abbas, then this isn't any of them. Of course, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And again, there are things that we're never going to understand, right? Like, there, we, we can all agree on that for, as, like, just the fact of our human condition. But, like, as far as, the, okay, so I have gone through places in meditation where I've reached points of, let's say, unexplicable scenarios of, like, for example, I'll give you an example. I, I meditated once on a beach in a foreign country, sitting on a little, you know, beach bed above, above, uh, uh, the sand and like right at the tip of the, of the beach, middle of the night. And I, I just sat there with my eyes closed, hands on my knees, you know, relaxed, whatever, filling my mind. And I had these, these, these urges to like, I had my laptop behind me cause I was working. I had my cell phone near me, whatever. I had these urges to gather my belongings, getting worried that someone would, would come and grab them. I had these urges to cover my chest like you do when you cross your arms feeling like in case uh, i heard a stray dog and who knows what's out there and then being able to overcome those feelings the sense of surrender and the sense of peace and just being able to say i'm just gonna let go and just completely let go and surrender in this moment and just allow just just allow things to happen as they will and just that, that giving up that surrender which is again this, something this is fatalism religion this is fatalism. It's not taught in religion. Explain that to me. So basically, like whatever will be, will be. So this is fatalism. So, for example, you've you know you've studied really hard for your exam, and the exam has uh, 
you know you're okay. really nervous about it and you know uh, one in fact one of my uh, mentors uh, when i was younger gave me the same advice uh, you know you're, you're stressed you, you've got exams a few days away you've done everything you can but you're still very stressed about it right and then he said uh, exactly he said Look, why don't you just be fatalistic about it i said what do you mean he goes well whatever whatever happens happen and don't worry right. about it choose not to worry about it right and so what you're describing is fatalism now okay. that is now that's not what religion actually teaches us. Okay, teach us. agreed. So this uh, our we have a different, completely different paradigm when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, okay. So so what I so what I, I think what what I see is that you're you're tapping into your fitra, your your natural predisposition okay. to recognize something beyond and greater in some way. Because we, because you know, okay. you know, obviously from a Muslim background, I don't know if you do know this. We believe that human being, we have a, uh, a, a an aspect of ourselves, which is uh, which is able to uh, ascend, uh, recognize, or feel, or surrender to the existence of a, there is a existence of a creator. Now, if you're at Urington Neuroscience, you've heard of you probably heard of Justin Barrett. I don't know if you've heard of his study with children. No. Uh, so, to look up Justin Barrett, uh, Justin Barrett, B A R E T. He did a study, I think, from Cambridge. It was published, and he did, he studies the cognitive science of religion. And what he's what he found in his study is quite extensive. Was written up often. Was that um, children have an innate sense of something great, some some agency uh, within uh, within uh, that's working within. The, the universe so they they have a way of looking um at uh, let me just try actually let me just try and let me just try and find it. So they have a way of looking at uh, let me try and find it for you it might be better let me see if i can bring up the so they have a it's almost a sense of the supernatural is, is within them they look for agency in the world yeah so they don't believe that um things are um not uh Things are just natural. They they think beyond that. Very fascinating study. I'd recommend reading it. He's written many books about this, and like I'll I said, he's, he's the, he does the cognitive neuroscience uh, of religion. That's that's his study, and I think it's very worth looking into that. So he that's what he was looking at specifically. So I think my view is from what you've described is you've tapped into some of this uh, natural predisposition, but none of that establishes anything beyond so my so the, the reason i'm asking this that we seem to be going on about it is there's no point in having any other conversation unless we establish whether or not there is a creator whether religion is true these are all secondary questions uh you know it's a classic mm -hmm. question about you know there's three thousand gods and you know i believe in 299 you know 2999 you believe in one more than you know you you reject them all apart from one one less than i do these are all straw man arguments. They don't make any sense whatsoever, uh, really. Oh, I, I can understand that. So the the question really is: is that uh, you're here, and the universe is here. The aliens within the universe who may have written it, they're here. How are we explaining all of these things? How are you? How are you saying that these things actually um, exist? Okay. So when it now, comes to the, important, the, it's important because one of the real important one of the things you said in your story, which is going to get lost, and I don't want it to be lost. Is uh, I just want to mention it now because we're going to ignore this now for the rest of the conversation. Is that you said that one of the things that you're you were able to do was learn how to uh, meet your responsibilities, look after your family, be a good husband, be a good father, um, have develop a moral compass. Now, all these things are 
guidance of some sort. The question is, where is this guidance from? And it seems to me this is societal. So what, whatever is considered okay within the society, you've adopted it, uh, generally speaking. And the question is, is that a valid way of being? Or if it's personal, like you say, my personal compass, the problem with this yeah. approach is the society can come up with conclusions that are wrong. Um, Absolutely. There's many of examples in history. I don't have to go through them all, but um, you know, whatever they may be, whether it's the concentration camps during the 40s in, in Germany or whether it's sort of the ones that are happening now in China, whatever that society decides, it doesn't make it correct. Mm -hmm. uh, so you need something beyond that. So the other thing is, is that um, it changes. It's subjective. It, things that were okay in the past can become bad now or think that were bad in the past can be good. So it's a, it's a changing standard. Okay. The, the other question is, is that if, are you addressing the, the complete needs of the human being? So you recognize the spiritual aspect of the human being. Are you helping your child to not only deal with her? I'm just sorry. Apologies. I know it's personal, but I'm trying not to be, don't take it in a negative mm -hmm. way. Not only deal with their physical and psychological needs, but are you helping them deal with their spiritual needs? And the spirit and spirituality usually is the understanding that there is something beyond the physical, which we, which is consisting, which is part of us that we are connecting with. I don't know if you hold that view or not. None of those things are explained explained without referring to a, a creator first. Otherwise, what it, what you're essentially saying is that look, this feels good, it makes me calm, and I lead my life according to how I see fit plus the society, uh, societal norms. Which would be different if you were born in Russia, if you were in Russia, grew up there, the norms sure. that you'd be following would be different to the ones you are now. The way you'd be treating your family would be different to how you're treating them now. But that would be the norm okay. for that society. Okay. So these are all of the, I've said a lot, I know, my apologies, but these are all the, the things that you end up with as a corollary of having this idea that I can find my own moral compass, etc. This isn't guidance. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the, the, so that so what we need to do is we need to start really at the fundamentals and go back to the question so without even referring to any religions uh how did the aliens and the universe and everything how did it all get here? sure okay so first of all um i want to make a point that uh i know it's very late over there and i can see that you guys are closing the chat so i know it's this is probably towards the end of it and i also have to run they just close the cafe behind me and i, I have to get home um, but uh, speaking of responsibilities, but um, but here's uh, I'll just give a quick last take on this, and then I'd love to I'd love to give you guys the last word to say whatever it is that you feel you need to say as it's your platform. Um, so first of all, uh, it's a lot to unpack, and I, I unfortunately I put away my my notebook already. But um, let's start with uh, let's start with the idea of where everything came from. Okay. I find that conversation to be really interesting so, amongst sorry, people who believe in... Let me yeah. give the question that's even probably better. Why is there something, sure. rather, which is a classic one, right? Why is there something rather than nothing? Okay. So let's, let's, let's try to unpack that for a second. Because at the end of the day, the question that you're asking me as to where did all of this come from is the same question I would ask to you, where did God come from? At the end of the day, it all goes back to we one idea that something always existed and we don't know why. And we just accept it by faith in some no, manner of speaking so because we don't understand yeah. it. So that's a, I know that time is short. So this is why I'm interjecting a little bit. So that's a, not the argument. I don't accept that there is something on faith at all. At all. Now, the, 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 the point here is, is that 
I'd like to understand your perspective on this so mm -hmm. that we can actually get into the uh, you know the real details and then we can come out with some okay. sort of because I because I don't I mean I I had a similar experience to you growing up in not from the household but from the massages that I was attending very very bad experiences completely turned me off the religion and I was not mm -hmm. practicing as Muslim for many many until my late teens probably when I hit you know uh, you know mm -hmm. Mela forgive me but this was this was my journey and I similar to yourself so I see that but then what happened was um my research and study, uh, you know, I'm also from a scientific science background, led me to Islam as opposed to away from it. Now, what I'd like to do with you, and maybe not now, is not the right time. I can see you're having to leave where you are. Yeah, I am. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll have a specific stream we could come on, or we can even do this privately. It's not about the cameras or the view. Not, sure. not I'm interested in you as a person rather than anything else. Thank I'm you. I'm happy. To, we'll have a chat and a conversation, and we can share, we can see, we can compare our thought processes and our our logical steps that we took to arrive at our current positions. Sure, um, I would love to. That sounds you're wonderful. a lovely guy. I can see that you're a you know you're a family man. I can see you're a decent person, and so I you know, uh, I, you know, I, my heart goes out to you. And, I, and I'm 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 making you know, a brother Ali for bringing brother Jason on, <laughs> and, and we should definitely continue this. But I now is not now is probably not an appropriate time because you're, you're leaving. But let's right. start with this question next time. Why is there something okay. rather than nothing? Now the the thing about sure putting that back onto me we can do that but let's do the process first because let's take god out of the question so god is not in it now so you can't ask that question but you still have to answer the question where is there something rather than nothing and then we can come back to when i whenever we do posit god because they'll be there at some point you can say okay well now what about you how does how do you answer this question okay and then so we can i'll answer through. the question really quick if you want i mean the way i see it is that i've come to terms with the idea that that is just something i i, I don't know and I'm okay with that. It's as simple as that to me. I, I just, I don't know why any of this exists. I don't know. I don't know how any of this happened. I, I genuinely don't know. Now, you can say that it came from the Big Bang, possibly. That's probably where science is showing. Where did that come from? Who knows what happens before the Big Bang? What happens after this universe freezes over and dies out? I, I don't know. Some people, like, there are different theories on this, scientifically speaking, but from a, a pure, like, like individual perspective i just simply i don't have an answer for that and i'm okay with not having an answer for that sure so we can so i think what we'll do next time then because that's one mm -hmm. approach is science and then where science falls or stops or as limits are then there's something mm -hmm. that there's not other forms of knowledge so logic is one of them right right so we can make logical deductions about things that are uh that hold that hold value and epistemically that would be that would be um you know, hard to disagree with. So but let's, let's, I can see that you're walking, Jason. So let's I, leave I this for now. Go, yeah, no, it's talking to you. no problem, sure. inshallah. Let's, let's uh, send us an email. We'll put the email up on the screen. Um, okay. Brother Ali probably has it already. And let's organize yes. another time where we can sit down and go through this conversation in any format. I don't mind. So don't worry about having to be on stream shot. or anything. No, no problem with okay. that at all, inshallah. You we'll see what time we'll, we'll go through this. Yeah, I was dealing yeah. Just a very, very, very <laughs> quick ten seconds, brother, uh, brother sure. Jason. You know, Allah sure. says something very interesting in the Quran that indeed, in the remembrance of Allah, do hearts find peace and contentment. And in can some, you repeat that one more time? I lost connection for a Allah second. says in the Quran. Allah says in the Quran that indeed, in the remembrance of Allah, do hearts find peace and contentment. I mean, and you lost that peace and that contentment, and in a re and in reality. 
the only way you found that was to believe in something greater than you, which is what your words were, which is what your word, what your very words were, that you you came to an understanding of something being out there much greater than you, and that gave you peace. And in reality, you've done a full circle, but you sort of actually come back to perhaps what you felt that you left in the first place. But let's. Have I appreciate that, the sentiment. Let's have that I conversation. I probably would disagree with you, but we I'm can sure you would. But let's have that conversation next time, inshallah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I really appreciate the chat. Brother Ali, brother uh, Jason, please do email us. We'll try to hook up. Whether if you if you'd like to do it live, where people might benefit from, that's fine. If you want to do it privately, that's absolutely fine as well. I I don't mind. It sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. Nice to meet you guys for sure. Likewise. Take care, gentlemen. Thank you so much. And thank you, thank you, Abbas, and thank you, Amran. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, Alhamdulillah. So we've. Uh, so I just want to. I don't want to yeah. summarize because yeah. I think some because it was a very long conversation. Yes. And I think that um, some people don't understand. So what 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 is very easy to do is to just dive into the arguments, um, which is not sometimes is not the good way to do. Mm, mm. I'm trying to understand just genuinely a good indiv- individual who's a very, who's a very nice brother. You know, may Allah guide him. So once you understand, then you're able to sort of try to get into the underlying. Yeah thought process and what i really wanted to highlight for him and i hope it helped worked was that every everything everything that he presented actually was quite subjective yeah and we needed to get down to something more concrete and fundamental which is probably will happen next time so that was really i think this laid the good foundations for um further discussions um and i wanted the conversation to be amicable and decent and yeah, you yeah. know not badgering etc and i think yeah. that was the case so yeah um that was I, I enjoyed that. I think that's going to, inshallah, be a fruitful discussion next time because we're going to get into the nitty gritty. Inshallah. Um, just please make dua, make dua. The, the brother, Allah guides the brother and um, uh, makes things easy, inshallah, in the following conversations. Uh, Jazakallah for your patience. I know that this was the uh, the dawa, uh, the doubt stream, but uh, this was uh, 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 useful, I think, inshallah. I hope so, inshallah. Okay, Jazakallah, brothers and sisters. We've uh, sort of gone a little bit over the time, but we wanted to obviously try to help um, the brother in some way, uh, and I hope that inshallah, we've we've gone, you know, in some some way uh, t- towards that. Um, please do remember us in your du'as. Excuse anything that we might have said that's wrong, and of course, if we did say anything that's wrong, that's from us. And anything that we said correct or, and right, um, righteous, that's of course from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, pray for us that Allah purifies our intentions, that we keep doing what we're doing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And pray for our families, pray for um, uh, us as well. And just a reminder, please pray for uh, Brother Ijaz and his father, who's a little bit unwell at the moment, uh, that Allah gives them full uh, recovery, full shifa, inshallah. Uh, and our late brother uh, Guga, uh, who was very young, um, and did a lot of work for EF Dawa. He, you know, he passed away at a very young age. So please do remember him in your du'as as well. Jazakallah khair for watching us. Jazakallah khair to the mods for all the hard work you do, and of course, Jazakallah khair to Anis and all the ba- uh, back end team. Mashallah, they're always uh, doing so behind the scenes. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Waalaikumsalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.